welcome to the Serpent Temple podcast. Um, we're new, we're going to be doing lots of things that aren't only podcasts. Um, but I have with me here today, Grapevines. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having us. We have Matt and Jake. We have Floyd, my co-host. Hello, hello. And off camera, we have Iggy, who's an artist, who's going to be drawing us. We'll be posting on social media, Ignas Pledis. You'll find a link to his uh, artwork on the video or podcast, wherever you're listening, audio-visual. And we have shown behind the camera, you'll hear him laughing too. Just make sure to add like three inches onto the receding hairline. Is that <laughs> system? No. You can have some of mine, I've got too much. <laughs> yeah, we'll end the podcast with doing like, some hair grafts. And, uh, <laughs> I think that's why we were here. <laughs> that's the only way that I can bring people in, yeah. Um, yeah, thanks so much for coming. Um, we're going to be doing a side card reading, which is kind of like tarot. I've explained it to you already. So whoever wants the reading done for them, we can do a joint reading, but have a play with the cards. The idea is that as you play with them, they're going to take on some of your energy. Okay. Your spirit. Um, whether you believe in it or not, it's fun to do. And yeah, just have a, have a fiddle. Should, we, should I go first then? Yeah, it sounds like we like your energy off afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, sanitise them down afterwards. Yeah, but while you do that, um, tell us about what you guys do and how you sound. Oh, God, that's a very <laughs> large question. Uh, so we have this band, Gravelines. Um, it started five years ago, I guess. Uh, me and Jake used to be in a band called Dead Existence, which he had many moves before I even joined. I joined about a decade ago there. I haven't played bass in, a, in about a decade myself when I joined that band. but. Um, yeah, for some reason he went insane and took a punt on me playing bass with him, even though I was quite a psycho at the time. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I say that I was just drunk, mate. <laughs> just drunk permanently, I think. Uh, so that was all good. And then, yeah, we had a very heavy band. We had a really good run, played some really good shows. And then it came to an end. One of our guitars moved to Sweden, but we kind of had this idea that we wanted to carry on. Had an idea of what we wanted to do. and it developed into Gravelines, obviously sounded nothing like what we initially decided to, <laughs> to do. We kind of kind of had these ideas of going down the route of sort of carnate and stuff like that, but it just didn't happen like that. And, it, and I'm really glad it didn't, actually, because it's been a much more organic band than it was ever meant to be, and now I can't think of any other way I want it to be, so that's perfect. Yeah, I think, I, I know when we started the band, for me, the main one of the main things was um, that I just wanted to have a little bit more freedom with vocals to kind of explore different different things. Um, I've been kind of singing in other in other projects, but I hadn't uh, didn't really fit with Dead Existence, so it was all very aggressive and kind of. Uh, um, so yeah, that was I think that was the only thing that, uh, that did ma we did manage to kind of create with Gravelines was it, it didn't sound like we planned, but it did. It has allowed a bit more freedom to kind of explore different things and get a bit of different instrumentation and. The vocals are kind of, um, there's a bit more freedom there to kind of play around, so. Yeah, actually, I think that what we'd originally gone for would have actually been quite uh, enclosed, so I'm really glad that we didn't end up going down that road. As much as I loved that type of thing, we've been able to incorporate bits of that, but then so much more now. So bringing in, like we were talking shortly before we started, about influences from all types of other genres, and um, yeah, we're not sort of like, it's kind of, difficult the worlds we all come from, like our guitarist Ollie was in Seabust and their Witches as well and our current drummer was in some death metal bands so we've always been kind of associated with that kind of crowd but um, I kind of, I'm kind of loathe to call us a doom band or anything like that because mm. uh, <coughs> everyone has their ideas about what labels are anyway but like just as much as we really love that type of stuff and it's definitely a massive influence in our music it's uh, 
you know, it's not the only thing, you know. They were, ever since we were kids, been listening to all types of different stuff, so I think to pigeonhole is kind of, uh, it's difficult, you know. I've, I always find it weird with, with uh, playing heavy music in general, because I, I kind of, um, getting into metal when I was a teenager was sort of where I got a lot of confidence from and it got me into music. Um, but then I've spent, subsequently spent, um, more recent years kind of fighting against that as a label and like, I don't like being associated with it when it when that then rules out everything else because I because I listen to lots of other stuff as well so it's it's just funny this kind of that that was my way into music but that, but then I've now I'm really resistant to, to that kind of label it's not that there's a, like, anything wrong with those type of things you know we, we listen to that you know I fucking I've listened to Bolt for this morning like that's <laughs> that's you know we're you know a massive chunk of what we listen to but you know, in the same way that I wouldn't want to be pigeonholed in any of the other genres. You know, I wouldn't want to be said that, you know, we're only like an esoteric, you know, acoustic band. It's like, you know, I just want things to be all inclusive. And I think that I understand why the people talk in terms of genres. People kind of need to know if they go into like a, a very, very heavy show or a fucking, you know, flamenco type shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, as long as it's not UK garage, because that's the one I can't stand. But, <laughs> uh, you know, like, I think the more that we, and I think it is naturally happening anyway, the more that we can shed these, like, sort of monikers and preordained ideas, I think it's uh, it's better all around. Because I'd then we just get, you get to have good bands, and maybe bands that you wouldn't necessarily yeah. care about so much. Like, I, I think it's definitely, like, me and Matt talk quite a lot about how, even in the last 10 or 15 years, um, a lot of genres within kind of heavy music especially have all kind of started bleeding into each other. Yeah. And there's... I guess the downside of that is that sometimes that then everything gets kind of oversaturated and starts to lose its kind of individual identity. But the positive side is that I think stuff like what we do, we've never done something kind of non-heavy that hasn't been just instantly accepted by anyone watching us. So it's kind of, I think it's a good time to play around with different sounds and, and stuff, which maybe, I think maybe 15 years ago, people would have been a little bit less open to. I think, uh, yeah, that's something we've definitely been talking about quite a lot actually, like, and I was talking the other day about going to see digital hardcore stuff in the early 90s, like in Tyra Teenage yeah. Riot, and, sorry, the late 90s, Tyra Teenage Riot and, you know, um, Lolita Storm and those kind of things. <clears throat> and those gigs seemed really intense because everyone there was super just into that. And it made the whole, I remember seeing gigs where like the whole room went off, like, um, you know, the barfly and stuff where like, you couldn't even walk in the room with just like a massive like bodies. So the bad side of eclecticism, I suppose, is that now you go to see a digital hardcore band, not that they exist anymore, but, and you get like, you know, a lot of like <coughs> guys at the back standing there because they're into it, but they've just sort of got their thing. And it does take the intensity away um, a little. Um, I was talking about when Zeke played at uh, Desert Fest, you know, mm -hmm. one of my favourite bands, and the first time I saw them at Barfly in the early 2000s, <coughs> the room was crazy because everyone there was like a manic Zeke fan. Yeah. I know it's a bit different when it's at a festival, but like when they played at the Coco, there was sort of this intense group in the middle, and then just like a thousand guys just standing there like that. And I was like, it's good that these guys are into this, but at the same time, like, come on, guys. Like, <laughs> I think a room that size as well is just, it's no good for like no. dirty punk rock bands. I mean, you, I mean, you, want, you need that kind of music in a smaller room, I think. It was, so. That's like, a, you know, sort of more an example of just sort of a recent time where I, I sort of noticed the eclecticism not necessarily being a good thing. Um, so it's a really double-edged sword, you know, I'm kind of constantly torn every day. I mean, I, like I say, we've always had a very eclectic taste. 
and I think a lot of people had, even though they didn't, you know, even your guy with 27 fucking Iron Maiden perhaps on his back, he probably still listens to loads of other stuff. I don't know, Iron Maiden fans I think might be the exception. I definitely agree with that with... Oh, they they like all areas of Iron Maiden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it's very good that things are opening up. It makes musically, it makes the horizons much broader, which is really good. Um, like Jake said, like I think that people are a lot more accepting now. Like things that we, some of the things that we've done, we're not even particularly what I would call particularly out there. You know, um, just trying to sort of do our thing. But I think there's definitely things we've done that wouldn't necessarily have been embraced as much as it had been you know, 15 years ago. So in that respect, it's really good, and it's made our journey like a lot freer I think um, not just because of our, like I said like the organic way that we started but it's made it's sort of like a reaffirmation that you can do that and it's going to be okay you know everything's going to be okay guys <laughs> maybe oh, it's nice to hear that even if it's uh, about music yeah you can take it out of context yeah I'm going to take it out of context right now <laughs> I mean, you, you can Sense the slight tone of sarcasm in my voice when I say it. I, I will grasp from the <laughs> It's gonna be okay. It's more of that sort of ma manic smiling while you stab someone. <laughs> it's the next Black Sheep Wall album name, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, for a band that essentially, you know, makes very miserable music, it's our catharsis because we're quite jumpy people. <laughs> yeah. but that's, so, that's like, I think, the beauty in making sort of negative or. or you know, um, like you know, kind of downer sort of music is that it is it is cathartic, and you can. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, I I've always found that. I mean, even since the the beginning of Dead Existence, it's that's always been quite a sort of purging process to kind of go down as negative a route as you can, and sort of that any sort of negative thoughts that you have just to kind of explore like what's what's the furthest that will go. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't. We're definitely not like that as people, really. It's, it's um, but I think that's, yeah. I don't know. I've always really enjoyed that process and, and being able to kind of get that out on stage is like, um, it's yeah, it's massively cathartic. I think. Yeah. Like, do you find when you're on stage, is that do you feel like a change come over you immediately when you step on there, or does it not always happen? Because you're very impassioned when you play. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I want to. I mean, I normally finish a set in pain because, I, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe I've got a terrible technique with screaming, but I, I always get like headaches and um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a pleasant process, but, but it, I, it's enjoyable if that makes sense because it's, yeah. it is kind of, um, and I, I mean, yeah, I definitely don't, I think I, think I had that when I was um, a teenager, the first couple of bands I was in, um, I really had trouble kind of selling it on stage because I didn't, I sort of realised after a while, I'm not really, I don't really believe in this music. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of found that with, with, with going a bit more kind of horrible with it, that I was like, well, I can actually, I can get into that on stage and sort of, um, so yeah, I do, I always find it kind of uh, transformative in some respects because it's, um, I, I, can't, I don't know, like, I think with those kind of lyrics and that, that kind of vocals, you can't really, fake that like you ha you have to just go go into that like mm. into the bad place or whatever you know um i mean on the, at the same time it is it is massively enjoyable i love being on stage but it is like yeah i don't i don't ever want to kind of write those kind of lyrics and then not 
not properly be in that place on stage because it's. Well, I think it's very see-through. If you you know if you watch a band that is just going through the motions, I think it's very obvious. You know, it should be impassive, impassioned. You mm. know, like yeah. Um, I think any band that I can think of, and you imagine watching them, you know, when they're not really into it, it just seems the idea of it just seems rubbish. You know, like you, you want people to be bearing their soul um, to a certain extent, and you know, no no game without pain you know it's like it's gonna it's gonna hurt it's gonna be a rough ride it's gonna be tough you know I think I think with heavy stuff as well that's the difference between bands that you see on stage that you kind of it feels like theatrics and kind of a bit over the top and silly yeah and then some heavy bands which really on paper that's kind of what it is but when you're watching it it's like fuck this is intense you know and that's um I think that's yeah we're, we're both kind of quite anti-theatrics you know like uh not saying that I don't want to create like a visually appealing, yeah. uh, you know, appealing show, but you know, I, we don't need fucking glitter cannons going off. I, I don't want to <laughs> condense being for the concert for fifty quid. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you know, there's ways that you can create much uh, longer lasting and effective, you know, output um, just by you know bearing in the internal somewhat you know rather than making it like this external thing you know like you say we're not we're, we're in a band we're not in a fucking west end play do you find that that being on stage you you kind of have a change and that as well yeah i don't feel like i'm myself anymore yeah but i yeah. feel like i'm tapping into <clears throat> like um like an archetype if that makes sense mm, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah and like it's more like you're channeling something and I mm. kind of don't want to be myself on stage because I'm not like a natural I don't want to be like ha ah, all the time yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. like thespian like but um yeah it's, it's interesting isn't it when you kind of realize you sort of find your your, your actual kind of voice with, with stuff and one, one of the one of the biggest things that really made a difference to me was um when I was younger I used to f you know that thing I think a lot of people feel like you, you have to kind of be charismatic in between songs and talk yeah um and I yeah, I, I, I realised at some point, I think from watching, remember watching Jet's Thoth, um, and she doesn't say anything in between songs, yeah. but, but it's not aggressive music, um, but it, it, it's so intense, like watching her, and a few other bands that were like that, and I sort of realised actually, um, if you've got nothing to fucking say, then don't, you don't need to do, do that, you know. Um, yeah, your music can be talking for you, then. Yeah, because I think what people like to see is, is kind of, they, they want to see something authentic, so not... If that's not authentically you to, to be all like cracking jokes and I stuff. I love them. Yeah, yeah exactly. I can't do that. Like, yeah. I think it works for some people, but it, for me, it ruins the intensity of the flow of the set. Yeah. And um, I think with like we both, you, you're very different to us. Obviously, you, you don't sound like anyone else. But like we both are very into the whole intense, like experience. Yeah, thing. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's um, why we, wanted you when we played our last London show. We really wanted you guys in the bill because it's. Just felt like a, we're, we're quite into the idea of bands that don't necessarily sound alike that have a common thread. You know? yeah. And that, that thread could be intensity, it could be depth of sound, it could be, there's many different threads that can be, but uh, mm -hmm. I think that's, to me, that's my favourite you know, gig to go and watch is where there is a thread of some sort, but not not bad. I mean, I'm going to see five bands that sound exactly no, fucking No one wants to be a yeah. death metal player. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's cool because like, you're a promoter as well. Like, you, you're really good <coughs> curating lineups in that way. Yeah, I mean, that's just like, I've tried to not overthink it. I mean, I do overthink it, <laughs> but like, you know, I've, I've tried to like, it be like, I always think of it from a punter's point of view, like, what do I want to go and watch? 
you know. Um, there's, there's definitely times when, when Matt's spoken to me about lineups uh, where I, you, I can tell that he thinks about it in a much deeper way than I do because he, he'll look at one lineup uh, and go like, oh no, yeah, that's really well put together. And then he'll look at a really similar, to me, looks like a similar lineup and be like, that promo is insane. Why the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's got some kind of master plan. I, I just can't understand. But I mean, by definition, us promoters, we are all insane because it's such a ridiculous business to get into. But you know, so I mean, like you know, it's just about giving a platform for music that we love. That's that's the thing. That's funny because you look at the success of, say, like Roadburn, and that's kind of like their main thing is how well curated the festival is. Yeah. And I think that's like their key selling point. That's why so many people flock to Roadburn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we. Desert first, we've always tried to sort of like do a little bit, but like <coughs> you know, it's kind of um, you kind of want to keep like the core of what the what the thing is, and then expand from it. I mean, that's the difference I think with the UK uh, crowd is that it does have to have a core. Yeah. And I think what Roadboat have been really really good with, and one reason that I yeah you know, I've been going there since two thousand six. I, I love the, the festival, is because um, they have the freedom. And they've been brave enough to roll with it, and now they've <coughs> set themselves a platform to have this freedom to be as eclectic as they want, and people trust them. Yeah, yeah I think I think that's the difference between them and most festivals. And I mean, there there are loads of other great festivals as well. It's not definitely not just about that one, but it's definitely when I first started going, it was it's the only festival that I went to without knowing most of the bands. Yes, and I was just yeah. happy. I was I was confident that I would find something that I hadn't heard before that I liked, and that's. I think that's happening more and more with, with smaller festivals that are kind of popping up all over the place and, and things that are kind of mixing genres together that you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily expect. So I, th I think that's, maybe they kind of um, triggered or kind of sped that along with, with, with some other festivals that are popping up as well. Yeah, I think it's linked to what we were talking about earlier as well. Like, you know, I think on the first couple of Desert Fests, we wouldn't have got away with certain things. And now we're, we've got the scope to be a lot more experimental and Robo definitely paved the way for that. Um, I think in general, like the whole scene, like I, a lot of the agents I work with in Europe and things like that, they have multiple genres of bands on their roster. You know, they'll have like a death metal band, uh, <coughs> a very ethereal, electronic, gothy band, and they're literally right next to each other on the roster. And I, I think, yeah, it's all linked into what we were talking about earlier about the acceptance of things and the common thread, you know, in a weird way, you know, that, that sort of gothy, ethereal one has a really good link with the, the death metal one, you know. Yes. It's interesting you were talking about um, sort of vocal techniques earlier because like that's like the main thing I, I got when I was listening to it like it comes from a place that's so obviously true and you, you can listen to like an untold amount of death metal bands where they're using you know, like just the standard vocal fry techniques mm. and, you know so homogenous people sound the same and you can just tell it's just you know it's a technique that sounds impressive but like it's just harder to connect with that sometimes. Yeah, I think yeah, it's I mean, about creating the vibe though, you know, like I was saying about Bolt yeah. earlier, like, Bolt can do their thing all day long as far as oh, I'm concerned, yeah. but like them a victory because there's a vibe with it. And I think that's, again, it almost sort of links into what we're saying about the preordained idea of theatrics, you know. If you go into it with this, like, pre, I, like, this notion that I'm going to make this, I'm going to do that, <coughs> it's going to sound like shit, you know. That, and like talking about vocals, I mean, if you look at, I think all the kind of, classic 90s death metal bands are a good example where they all had different sounding voices yeah. and they, they didn't all kind of employ exactly the same thing yeah. um, and they all had really their own character quite a lot um, and I know obviously the genre has kind of evolved and all the kind of the brutal end of it and I know some people love that um, but yeah definitely when it comes to, to like um, kind of shout, shouted vocals or whatever you want to call it um, 
the thing that appeals to me and the, the singers that I like is it's where it does sound. I mean, firstly, where you can kind of hear what they're saying, like it, not necessarily make out the words, but it, like I like it to sound like a voice. Um, yeah. And also, if you can hear some emotion in that, and I think that's what's missing from a lot of those, probably with much better techniques than I have, um, a lot of those singers that can, um, you know, they can do that kind of death metal vocal for hours. Um, but yeah, to me, it just sounds kind of flat for a lot of these bands that, that, that do that kind of thing. Um, I think it's similar riff-wise riff as well, you know, like, you know, yes, it's impressive to play at 4,000 miles an hour. All that really says to me is you spent too long in your fucking bedroom. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to watch bands like Obituary and Ultra because they have a groove. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, those guitarists are some of the best in the world, but they can play like a three-note riff and it'll fucking get you way yeah. more than some like, oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the only the only people that can allow to do that is fucking Edwin from uh, Osric Tentacles, because he's the only person who's allowed to fucking whittle and get away with this. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Maybe a little bit of Steve Vai. It was kind of what we, were, what we were talking about earlier about, about heaviness, and I think some people, and definitely people that are into really into their kind of brutal, br the brutal end of metal, um, I think for, for, for some people like that, heavy is, you know, playing everything as fast as possible and, um, you know, the vocals being as brutal as possible. But, um, and this is obviously completely down to individual taste or whatever. Um, but yeah, for me, heavy, that's, that doesn't, that ends up not sounding heavy at all. Mm -hmm. It just sounds like, you know. And also like associations with it, it's like, man, just stop being such a fucking geek. <laughs> <laughs> to that rule yeah Absolutely. so there's you know even within brutal death metal where I, I i genuinely feel how i just said about it there are there will be bands within that that, I, that i've heard that are kind of the exception to the rule and i think that's but then that's uh, kind of what we were saying before what's good about what, where we're going now is it's less about i like this genre i like that genre it can be more about i like specifically this band or even i like this bit that this band do and it becomes more about your actual taste rather than you know, what someone served you on a plate, you know, I think yeah. there was a, a long time where people would be, they sort of identify like, right, this is my genre, this is what I'm into, and any old shit that was laid up that fell within that realm, they'd be like, I'm lapping it up, like, I like this, I like that, it's like, I have a fucking opinion, man. Yeah. Like, like, it really annoys me, like, you know, when people are like, into every fucking old band, like, yeah. you know what, I'll tell you something, ACDC are pretty fucking shit, and you're allowed to say it, you are allowed to say it, you're not going to yeah. get sort of like a lightning bolt come down. Like, well, I think that's actually, yeah. 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 that's kind of part of saying about sort of things, genres bleeding together and things, one of the good things about that is, um, I think whenever whenever you have a genre that's that's has a really strong identity, and, and then it ends up having a uniform and a way of behaving, and that, end, that, that ends up being really cancerous, I think, yeah. like, to people's behaviour. And, yeah. and that's where you get the, that kind of more exclusionary sort of behaviour where it's, you know, gatekeeping and, you know, who, who are these people that aren't dressed correctly to be, to be in here? Um, and, yeah, I think it's a really positive thing that now you get that a lot less. And it... Yeah, I, I guess there is a bad side to it. Like, like Matt was telling me the other day about he, he kind of finds there, there's... Sometimes there's less of a vibe 
um, with, with certain genres kind of losing that identity, but there's also then less of that fucking douchebag kind of, um, you know, we're in, the, we're in the cool club and these people aren't allowed in. I, I fucking hate that, yeah. that sort of behaviour. Um, I mean, having said that, you know, we're, we're not like trying to be holy now. We, 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 I've been guilty of doing this myself. You know, I judge everyone just... I see, yes. Yeah, so... <laughs> 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 it's just about trying to become like a bit more in tune with your own feelings and actually just to accept that, you know, it's okay to not like things that everyone else likes. Yeah. And it's okay to like things, you know, just have your own opinion about what you are into. And it doesn't really matter what everyone else thinks or is into you. go to the gig and enjoy it yourself. I mean, I love going to gigs with mates and getting pissed, but let's face it, the moment you're watching the band, it's so fucking loud, you're not really talking to people anyway. You're normally just stumbling around having a great fucking time watching the band, so it doesn't really matter who else is around you. And that's one thing actually with all these like, limited cap shows that we've been finding is that people love it, because actually once the band's <coughs> actually sitting in your seat, it doesn't really matter who's around you. I mean, obviously, if you're watching like a New York beatdown hardcore, it's a bit weird if you're just sitting... <laughs> just playing villain by yourself. I've seen a few funny things, a few people like, desperate to get up and they're doing the old chicken wing and the old <laughs> thigh slap. But like, fuck it, they're getting into it, I like it, you know. So like, yeah, I mean, losing yourself in music is why I think a lot of us got into the music so heavily in the first place. And I think there was a certain point where people sort of forgot that and it got a bit lost. So actually, like, people getting lost in what they like again and it not really being about it. It's a very personal journey, you know, about not being about what everyone else likes. And in that respect, the idea of breaking down genres, um, not because it's cool to not be in a genre, but just because it's the only genre that should be is you, your genre, you know? Like, but I don't want to see you with your Spotify fucking roundup. <laughs> Instagram the other day, just everything was just Spotify wrapped, and it was just. Yeah. I still don't know what Void Gaze is. What is Void Gaze? I've seen so many genres on that that are just what the fuck. <laughs> Someone said to me, showed me the other day that they got pop and then two down hyper pop. <laughs> it's pop on speed. Yeah, it's exactly. when you see a guy with like a five foot mohawk who's. Like, you know, really proudly saying, like, my top thing was punk, crust, no shit. I always feel ashamed when I see mine. I'm like, I haven't listened, I've only listened to 26,000 minutes of music. This is unacceptable. It's when your own band starts creeping up in the list because you're, you're trying to remember how to play the songs before you I think Rick actually from Video Nasty, his, his, his was up there and he was saying, no, 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 I was just like trying to remember the riffs. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just put it on when you go to sleep, put it in my own bag, it's fine. There's, there's nothing wrong with streaming your own music in the night just to get the £2 royalty so you can pay for some tea. Yeah, no, yeah. Totally. I mean, let's face it, you shouldn't be making the music you're not a fan of anyway. So, yeah, you know, exactly. I'm a fan of Grey Vines, you know. I'm a fan of Grey Vines too, yeah. Thank you. That's fine. I'm not. No. <laughs> I don't like your bits. <laughs> <laughs> just skip through it. Have you, have you got an edit without that? I just listen to the bass. Yeah. It's, just, <laughs> it's just an isolated track. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I listen to like the isolated demo track. <laughs> do you want to start the spread? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, so this is the Inquirer card. You're the Inquirer. Okay. Um, so this is the diamond. I'll just tell you like where to put the cards. So mm -hmm. Number one, like here. Do I, do I need to shuffle these in some shuffle way? Shuffle it again or, if you want, yeah. And yeah. then hold them. Face you've already, down? You've already been shuffling, yeah. yeah, face down. You don't want to see the card until it's okay. time to turn it over. So yeah, number one. Tell the pocket player in. Shut my card face up. You just put it on top of this. Okay. Oh no, no, other way around. Oh. Well, we know what number one is. <laughs> oh, I've already fucked it up. Oh, uh, don't worry. <laughs> this is number two, face down. Yeah. Yeah. Number three. Number four. 
Number five, six, seven, eight. Sorry, my head's everywhere. That's what? Nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. descriptions in this little book um, and if you really are stamped on a card there's this thing that's got like chapters on every single one so you can have a look at it or read for it but it's up to you so I'll read what the fortune description is mm -hmm. I thought it said torture <laughs> it does look a little bit like it does, it does yeah. <laughs> I mean it's the same thing right <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean definitely <laughs> Just, I mean, it's you can kind of 
step back and just look at life in general like that. And if, if you're, it's good to focus on goals and, and have, you know, have things that you want to get to. But if you're not enjoying your day-to-day -day life, you know, people that kind of um, do a job they hate and work overtime and just, just to save all the time. And then what are they going to do with the money? Spend it when they're, when they're old and, they're and yeah, yeah. When, <laughs> or when they're dead. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of, that's the thing, I suppose, that fortune, you know, wealth and things can come in different forms. It's not necessarily financial, you know, yeah. like we've been talking a lot recently about the idea of time being way more important than money, you know, like, and mm. actually trying to reduce what we're doing in our sort of, what we need to do to live so that we can actually enjoy the present, you know, enjoy the, what we're doing at this time, like, um, and in that respect, yeah, I mean, it's good to have goals, it's good to, you know, so in a band sense, it's good to be like, well, I'd like to play this place or that place, but you, you should be enjoying what you're doing every moment, like, um, otherwise, you know, what's the point? Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think personally my goal is, like, to have a sense of fulfilment, which I don't want to find in in something that's like um, tangible, like mm, necessarily yeah. like playing X or, or being Y or having X amount of views, it's more exactly. of a sense of like um, satisfaction of what you do, which yeah. I think is way harder. I mean, we're, we, we've been very lucky that we've played some gigs that have been like just mind blowing for us. Um, the one that really sticks in my mind is uh, playing with Ministry at Shepherd's Bush Empire. Awesome. I mean, I've loved Ministry for 25 years and you know, getting there, getting in the lift with like, you know, it was just like a mind blowing day. But you know, I mean, I suppose if on paper when I was sort of like 16 years old, that would have been like, oh my God, you can die after that. Mm. But it's like, actually, when you do it, it's fucking amazing. And I, I wouldn't change a fucking thing about it. It was amazing. But I still enjoy playing, you know, a small gig in Nottingham just as much because it's it's about not having those goals as things that are going to like be an end point, you know. Uh, you know, I, I believe more in what we're doing and what we're creating than necessarily like that one night. I, I think you can tell as well, all, all the musicians and the bands that I know, you know the ones that are just hungry to, to play music and that's uh, like, you can tell that. And you can tell that apart from the people that are like, oh yeah, here we go, you know, they've got some kind of end, end game in mind or they're doing it for a slightly different reason or a slightly different drive, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I still want to be making music when I'm fucking 70, you know? Like, yeah. I don't really, you know, I don't care if I'm playing the Royal Albert Hall or fucking, you know, King's Arms down the end of the road or whatever, you know? Like. Do you feel like you don't have a choice? Uh, I, I don't feel like that, but I do, uh, even, even when I've had times when I've, when I've had a bit, kind of got a bit fatigued with it for whatever reason and like, oh God, I, can't, I just can't be asked for a while. Um, and I'm sure you, you, I'm sure you could relate to this, but I, as soon as I haven't done it for for a few weeks or a few months, then it's you, you feel like there's something not right. Like it, it's definitely, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, I miss it as soon as I'm not doing it. I think, and I think that's 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 exactly what I'm talking about with with you know a lot of musicians that we know that 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 kind of hunger for it that you, they just. Um, yeah, need to need to make music somehow, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't think it's always a particularly healthy thing either. I, I definitely, um, I think a lot of people like certainly I can connect my uh, my sort of interaction with music to um, you know being an unconfident kid and being really shy and, and feeling shit about myself and I kind of I, so then you end up getting a lot of validation for music, which isn't necessarily a particularly healthy kind of yeah. relationship, but yeah. it's um, it's also amazing, so you know, but it, but yeah, I think it's, 
I definitely recognise the kind of um, there's a slightly more insidious drive there as well as the kind of the beautiful side of it. There's like, you know, I, think, I need people to tell me that I'm doing something good, you know, that and that's not necessarily the most uh, the best place to be, you know. But I think there's, there can be a difference between validation and narcissism or e egotism, you know, like. Um, being validated can be something that's a positive thing because it drives you forward. You know, yeah. it drives you to gives you the confidence to create. You know, to create more. It doesn't necessarily have to be a pedestal type of thing. Yeah, I was actually talking to um, there's a friend of ours, uh, Noomi Spook, who did did our music video. She's like a really good filmmaker. Um, but I had a really good conversation with her a few weeks ago, and we were talking about that about um, about uh, kind of ego and how <clears throat> we talk about ego a lot in a negative way of kind of you know egotistical people and, and all of this. Um, but I was talking about that kind of need, the need for validation that, that I think a lot of people that do some something creative kind of need. Um, but she was saying to me, yeah, but there's, there, there is a kind of positive way of, of feeding the ego. It doesn't have to be this kind of negative connotations to it. Um, but yeah, I think you just have to be aware of all this stuff, don't you? And, and kind of, um, you've always got to catch yourself from kind of slipping into a the kind, the kind of wrong side of stuff like that. I, think. I, mean, I just try and hide behind the pillar on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> and then complain that no one can see you. Well, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I can see, like, you know, just the head stop popping out. So. I've, got, I've got the other geezer on the other side of her shirt off, it's all fine. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Ali, I love, love you to this. <laughs> Butterfly tits. <laughs> he has like an amazing giant moth tattoo on his chest. Just for context, this isn't my pet name. <laughs> <laughs> Do you feel um, more validation when someone's like giving you a direct compliment, or more when you see people engaging with your music? Um, I think I think for me, for me, the most enjoyable thing is um, seeing people I don't know watching mm. us play, um, and that I mean definitely with Dead Existence for for the first probably five or six years we were playing it was you know that we were stuck in that in that thing of you know you playing playing to your mates who are also all in bands and then you go and see them and it's kind of that's that's always great fun um but i think in recent years like playing playing shows where we've you know we've got a good amount of people through the door and i don't know any of them that's that for me is really i suppose it's i don't know if that's the best because i also any friend that i kind of admire um that's that's kind of giving me a compliment about something i've done is um, that's amazing as well. So I don't know. They're, they're kind of, I guess they're two different sides of the same coin. Maybe well, I suppose with friends, it's always taken with a pinch of salt. You're always just sort of like, are you just saying that? You know. So actually, one thing that is nice is when a friend genuinely likes your music because you know, like you're, they'll be like, oh, I really like your album. You're like, oh yeah, all right. I'm sure you did. <laughs> and then they start talking about individual tracks. And you're like, oh, you actually listened to it. You're not just saying it. Like, <laughs> so that's quite nice as well. But yeah, I mean. Something we definitely noticed actually that show we were talking about the um, the one at the Black Heart a couple of years ago. Was it a couple of years ago? Time time goes so fast. But that one was really good because I remember at one point looking around the room and you know we pretty much sold the place out and yeah I didn't normally I know quite a lot of people in the audience and there was a massive sway that I didn't and that felt really good because it felt like you're sort of breaking ground you know um, again like you're saying it's not about numbers of people that are into you it's but it's just nice to know that you're what it's the validation that what you're doing is reaching people and maybe 
on some level affecting people. I think when you don't know people as well, then they've, they've got no reason to pretend yeah. they like your music. So, yeah. so that's, I guess, it's a much um, more straightforward kind of recognition. That, like, okay, well, these people actually want to come and watch this. So, I mean, to be fair, that gig was like, you know, the whole lineup of amazing bands. <laughs> 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 yeah. It was really fun. Actually. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my friends did Soaking Future Movies, who we did a split with as well, and. Um, that was the, sort of the tour that we were on, and that was the final date, I think. Yeah. Maybe final but one. And um, yeah, we love those guys. Like they're just the best people. Um, so you have great chemistry. Yeah. It was wonderful. Yeah. They're really nice, and like you know, we get Caroline up to do a song with us, and Jake does one with them, and it's yeah, it's really nice to have that sort of intermingling, and you know, something we've been talking about a lot is like the collaboration with other people musically, and so it's sort of broadening the horizons of what you're doing. I, th I think like, we've been quite lucky with that as well, with, with sort of a later period with Dead Existence and, and carried over into Gravelines is most bands that we tour with, um, or that we've done kind of short tours with, um, quite a lot of them we've just not known them and kind of hit them up just because of some kind of connection with them, their music or, you know, are we, are, you know we, we like what you're about kind of thing. Um, and nearly every time we've ended up really forming like a really strong bond, which is like, it's one of the things I really enjoy about, about that process of just, you know, you come away, um, you know, because you're, you're making friends with them just from kind of hanging out and drinking and whatever else. But um, there's also a kind of connection that you make through music with people that's kind of, you, you know, you form really kind of fast bonds with people. And, and I, I like how sort of worldwide it is, you know, like these bands we're talking about, we did a, we got really good friends in Gothenburg in Sweden with this band Walk Through Fire. Um, we <coughs> toured with a couple of times and they, they're just like some of our best friends in the world now. I can love them bits. Actually, I'm technically in a band in Gothenburg with our old Dead Existence guitarist, but we don't rehearse very much. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, and also some friends in France in this band Valve. Um, so yeah, it's really nice to know how sort of, you know, just if you ever needed a reaffirmation that borders are literally just lines in the fucking ground you know people are people you can reach out to someone from anywhere in the world and have a, that connection uh, and that's something amazing that music gives i mean not just music obviously like you say but the hanging out and being around people you know but it's uh, it's just nice to know sometimes that there's like a, a tangible way that that's not based on anything of where you come from or where you live and anyone who thinks like that's a fucking knucklehead you know? <laughs> Yeah, do you want to go to the second part? Let's, let's, let's do it. this. We keep going off taste. The whole point is like we want people to just say whatever is on their mind. Well, me, me and Matt both have verbal diarrhea, so yeah. <laughs> turn, turn over some card. We'll, we'll, we'll make it about something. <laughs> <laughs> so wait, this one. This is the second card. Okay. So yeah, what yeah. is it? The body. Okay. Good band. We don't. <laughs> yeah. They're talking of collaborative bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It sure is. This is one of the seven fundamentals. They describe areas of our lives that are common to us all, the everyday things appertaining to our background and environment which are so important. So the body stripped of the outer layer, showing the muscles and veins on a squared background of enlarged veins, all in shades of red and blue. The card initially stands for our physical makeup, indicating health and bodily well-being, or lack of it. It also implies rhythms of our body which govern our health and happiness together with the meridians. Wow. Um, I'm going to help the giggle with a little uh, lack of it. <laughs> We're not the healthiest people. No. Um, 
that, that I, I was just thinking um, straight away of um, something that's come up, I think, for definitely for me and, and quite a few of my mates uh, this year with, you know, being stuck indoors um, is just looking at, being forced to look at uh, the relationship with alcohol a bit more. Um, but I, I mean, I've, I've always, um, I've always drunk too much. I definitely, I was one of the people that learned to socialise when I was a teenager through drinking, which I think so many of my friends have had the same thing. And then playing music, um, it's so kind of synonymous with that. Um, but I, I used to just go out a lot and drink. I never used to drink at home. And this year, I, I kind of broke the seal on, on sort of sitting at home and drinking. And it's really, um, it's, it's kind of made me re realise uh, just how much kind of relying on that. And um, I mean, I was even telling Matt the other day that I can't, I, 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 I can go without drinking, but I have to have no alcohol in my house. Mm -hmm. um, I can't have a bottle of whiskey and have a glass and I'll, I'll finish it. Um, so that's been an interesting kind of um, thinking about that. And then obviously, you know, um, I'm 35. Most of my friends are kind of get, getting into 40 now. And it's that, so that's, you have that natural thing of thinking about, okay, well, if, if I carry on drinking like this now, I'm going to be fucked. You know, you, you see those, some of the music venues I've worked in where you see these kind of old rock bands coming through and they're, they're all, no alcohol in the room they're all drinking water because they they kind of went too hard and they, they you know they can't be fucking near it anymore um so yeah I d i've been thinking about that quite a lot and trying to kind of get that under under control so um, it's an interesting sort of concept you know when you're you're aware of these things and you're aware of them necessarily not being a positive thing in your life and that you're you know aware that they're not necessarily becoming a problem you know but it's like it's a thing there yet you're still doing it. So it's like, you know, we've all struggled with, you know, drinking drugs and things in the past, you know, dead existence was quite a tense ridiculous time, you know, it was a bit of a fucking vortex of everything, you know. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting concept that we were talking about, you know, our struggles with substances and whatever else, yet sort of while still being in the eye of the storm to some degree, um, but I don't, you know, I don't know, I don't necessarily want to be one of those people that gets to the point where all they can have is a fucking herbal tea, you know, I want to enjoy the elixirs of life as much as I can, you know, but then sometimes maybe what, part of what that is, is knowing when to kind of bring it down a little bit so that you're not fucked when you're 60 yeah. and that you can carry on enjoying things, you know, and the, whatever the earth has to offer, you know. Um, the, the other thing for me as well is I just, I, it's been that. I've been in the process of changing this over the last couple of years, or certainly the last sort of 18 months or something. Um, but like, as Matt said, with, with Dead Existence, we used to just get hammered like every single show. Um, and I realised somewhere along the grave lines that I was, I was really compromising what I could do on stage, like vocally, from, from drinking and whatever else. Um, and I think I didn't, I didn't used to really care about that. I used to, because it used to just be about the, you know, enjoying it to the, to the extreme kind of thing. Um, but I, I, I definitely care more now about doing, being good on stage. Um, so the last few kind of runs of shows that we've done, I, 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 I kind of have started to get better at, um, you know, because I mean, I don't know if you, if you have this as a singer, but I, I feel like when you're touring as a singer, if you, if you want to take it seriously, you kind of have to have less fun. Like you have yeah. to be quite boring. So yeah, I've started really to kind of sit apart from everyone more often. Um, not talk. <laughs> I don't speak at all before a show. <laughs> no, well, I, I, I don't, um, 
I, I talked before, but I, I was losing my voice from going to the merch table afterwards. Yeah, so I, I basically help. have stopped doing that. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I tend to just try and talk as little as possible after the performance. Yeah. But that's normally when everyone else is kind of having a few drinks. And uh, the last one of shows we did with, with uh, Dystopian Future movies, uh, there was a few shows where, you know, we were in, in, the, in the van up, driving to where we were staying and everyone's, you know, passing a bottle of whiskey around or whatever, and I was just sitting with my headphones in because I, you know, um, but that's, that's been a really big deal for me because I'm, I find it so hard, like, you know, I've can't, yeah. I definitely talk too much and I, like, I find it hard to, to like, sit back and not, and not say anything, so. Um, yeah, I suppose we're quite sort of hepped up in people in general, so it's, uh, yeah, the, the idea of kind of taking it easy doesn't come very naturally. <laughs> no, and, it, and, it, and I think actually that's, that, that's the thing with, music is what if you take away all that kind of partying around around the show it's actually really boring apart from when you're playing mm. um so it's kind of accepting that you're not going on tour to like to have a big party is is kind of um just it just makes it a completely different thing you know but also um, it's like a personality thing you know like you know you kind of as you get older i guess you become aware that you don't want to become that person that's like you know fucked by six o'clock in the evening, just tearing people's ears off and like, um, you know, whether you're at a gig or, you know, at the pub or, you know, having a pizza or whatever, yeah. you know, you just kind of want to, I suppose you kind of like, I mean, say you, you know, for me, as I get older, I kind of, not saying I want to necessarily like fade into the background or anything like that, but I become quite aware of not wanting to be that like, you know, or the idea of being that most pissed centre of attention is very unappealing. Like, you know, I could much prefer to sort of sit, sit in my beer in the shadows and judging the person. <laughs> like, uh, you know, just like not being a punisher. You know, but, like, but yeah, it's, it's something to become very aware of. And yeah. I'm sure there's people out there that think I'm a total punisher, but it's like just trying to really keep in check of your shit, you know, like yeah. that I was saying earlier, like, you know, not don't be a fucking nerd, but like, you know, just fucking have a bit of fucking decorum, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chill the fuck out. But yeah, I mean, I, I was really noticing uh, definitely some early, there was some early stuff we did with Gravelines where I was, I, I thought I could still party like, like we were before. Um, I remember quite early on we did a, we did four shows, uh, three of which were in the UK and then we, we went to Paris to do a show. And I'd been staying up all night drinking with everyone every night and by the fourth show, I was shit. I was just shit. We did a really bad. Well, I I, I ruined the set for us, um, because I'd almost completely lost my voice and, oh, um, but that was a bit of a, you know, that's an eye-opening thing. We like, yeah. do you like what? What's the point in any of it if you're if you're gonna just like ruin yourself to the point where you're not actually good on stage? Because that's, um, and you see that with so you know you see that with with small bands right up to like really famous musicians, uh, that some people get stuck in that and they they kind of forget. They forget that if you're not if you're not taking that bit seriously, then what you know what are you expecting from it? I don't know. That fucking Paris show was crazy though. I mean, like we'd been out on the road with uh, Ironwich for a few days, and they didn't come to Paris with us. And this place where we were playing was like in a circus on top of a motorway. Wow. No way. And it was like yeah, it was like loads of fucking like weird like circus people and transvestites and you know just a massive eclectic mix of people like just floating around this gig. And it was, yeah, we played like last, even though we weren't really expecting to. So by the time we got to it, we were all just completely, like, I don't know, yeah, on another planet. And then we went and afterwards and stayed at this guy's, like, sort of Parisian mansion, which was amazing. <laughs> it had all these, like, tapestries on the wall. 
I remember just rolling around in fits of laughter trying to explain to him what custard was. <laughs> and we settled on basically <laughs> describing it as uh, sweet yellow gravy. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then it was pretty yeah, He was like, oh, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> So it wasn't all bad, but yeah. No, well, yeah, it was. It was, was the performance itself. Was the set was not a real like it was. It not was a funniest moment. No, and it was. Um, yeah, I just didn't ever want to. I, I just remember thinking like, I don't want to ever put myself in this situation again, where it's where I can't, I can't do what I'm supposed to do on stage, and it and it's like physically hurting me to. Do you know yeah. what I mean? It's you get just... that burning feeling of like shame. Yeah. Like, like... Up inside you. It's like being at school. Yeah. And then like, yeah. you don't know that like the teacher's like, oh, can you answer the question? You have no fucking idea yeah. what you said. Yeah. But it's, I mean, going back to the body thing, it's, it's, it's that, I think that thing, a lot of singers um, in kind of rock or punk or metal or whatever, whatever that umbrella term would be, um, you kind of willfully ignore the fact that, that your throat is part of your body and that's uh, like you're, you're, you're going to be shit if you don't look after it <laughs> yeah. um so that's kind so of been fragile a, yeah it is it's, yeah. it's pathetically fragile really and um, i think like you know the way that you look after yourself at the end of the day we can you know you can rage as hard on the and party as much as you want but the moment it affects your performance is the moment it's, it's a problem i guess mm. you know some people embrace it you know like the whole i hate god thing and sort of um for years like embracing that side of things on stage and it can really add to an aesthetic but I think it's kind of what we did with that existence like being the sort of messy wrecked band was kind of part of our shtick but at the same time I think you know as a, like a bandmate I've always had a thing you know party as hard as you want stay up all fucking night I don't care but if you come the next day and you can't play the fucking riffs then fuck you yeah, yeah. so yeah, you've got to be on top of your own shit in that respect so yeah um, yeah like you say you only get that from learning so that Paris one was a good fix of like learning curve for us of like, mm, right, yeah, you know, yeah. we, we have to address this, we can't, you know, I wouldn't want to get up and play <coughs> a certain gig like that again, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. Totally. Having said that, no regrets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, I don't know if you guys felt this, but I felt like it was something that kind of came with age. I felt like 30s was really the time when my body started to kind of fight back a little bit because yes. I was kind of invincible in the 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's, that's why, and it's true what you said, like this year, I think it's forced everybody to look at a lot of aspects of our physical Definitely. and mental well being and the connection between the two as well. Yeah, I mean, that thing of like in your 20s when you know, there's like five empty whiskey bottles and whatever else lying around, and you're like, yes. And then now at 30, you're like, I've had two IPAs in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I, I've always I found turning 30 really interesting because I. I really, I wasn't comfortable in my teens, and I, I don't think, like a lot of people, I, I wasn't really comfortable in myself in my 20s. Yeah. And hit, hitting 30, I really, I felt like I was meant to be 30, in my 30s. Like, like yeah. that was the kind of first time I was like, I oh, know, actually, I think I understand myself. But at the same time, that's when your body starts going, oh no, it's like, <laughs> you know, even things like, I remember like running up the stairs a few years ago, and you know, when you kind of feel something, you're like, my knee just did something then that's like, that's going to be a problem later on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, can, like, you just start to see all these little signs that your body's going to, going to start giving out on you. Um, but yeah, I'd, so it's, it's interesting that you kind of, and I think this happens for quite a few people, because I've spoken to a few mates that felt the same about turning 30 and kind of understanding yourself better and maybe dropping some of the bullshit where you, you stop trying to impress certain people and mm. um, certain peers and whatever. So it's kind of like you mentally become more into yourself as your body's going. Oh no, you're running out of, you're running out of uh, good years now. Um, Just become this like really in tune head on these robots. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm all for everyone converting into 
into robot bodies. Yeah, I think 5G's great. I hope we all turn into like lizard robot men. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I think. Um, the lizard robot women would probably do better. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm good at sex change, that's the way I want to do it. We'd be way more chill, I think. Yeah, yeah definitely. More... I'm not just going to become Susan, I want to become lizard robot Susan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, all right, so let's go to the next card. Yes. <laughs> I think lizard robots is a good way to yeah, end yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's anywhere else we can go from that, really. <laughs> That's the third card here. Okay. The liar. Mm. This is a really common one. Pretty much every single person who's a musician will pull this card. Wow. Um, because you're literally, what are you doing on stage? You're like, not yourself, right? So, um, number 29, <coughs> the jester comes forward on the stage, balancing on one foot and his expression can appear sly. A dropped purse lies at his feet whilst he holds aloft his replica and a mask. This card stands for deception and the possibility that you are being deceived or deceiving yourself. It symbolises falsity, disguise, cheating, malice, and those occasions when one has to wear a mask to the world for whatever reason. Mm. I mean, that's quite relevant to a lot of our stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the devil's advocate uh, sort of scenario that we try, oh, well, not, we, I tend to put forward quite a lot of mistake, you know. And yeah. So the concept of lying to yourself is quite, uh, is quite interesting. Yeah, I think um, that, uh, that, that idea of masks as well, I mean, and actually that, um, that's really relevant to the new, uh, all, all the concept behind the new album that we're writing. Um, we were talking earlier about kind of thinking of a, a, a negative idea and sort of taking that to its extreme. But I, caught, I was thinking a lot about, um, ironically, nothing to do with this year and nothing to do with COVID, but I was thinking a lot about just the isolation with, like, within the self. Um, and I kind of, it, that, there was an idea to me that, that kind of seems just really stuck in my mind that we, we all kind of, like humans as a whole, um, have this real kind of deep lie to ourselves that we can really connect with each other on a deeper level than we can. Um, and I don't, this is just a kind of one thought, train of thought with this, so it's not necessarily what I believe like, as a whole, but, um, but that idea that we kind of, we pretend to understand each other, I think, on a, on a deeper level than quite often we do. And I mean, even if you think of language, um, there's a lot of people talk about language and say, well, actually the way that, the way everyone interprets words are different, even when you're speaking the same language. Yeah. So there's this kind of lie that we all, we all kind of tell ourselves and each other, and we all kind of have collectively agreed to just pretend is, is, is the truth, where that we understand each other better than we do. I mean, this is why I think so many people have, um, you know, this is why so many people benefit from going to therapy, I think, because we, we have just layers of lies um, kind of holding us up, you know, and we have, we have defense mechanisms that are there for a reason and, you know, that we use to protect ourselves, but also tied into that is, is sometimes we don't really get to the truth of, of ourselves and how we interact with each other because there's so many of these kind of lies that we have to kind of navigate around. Yeah, I mean, like the idea of like perception, you know, like your, your own personal perception, like you're forever going to be alone because no one else is going to perceive anything in the way that you do well, until yeah. technology is such that we can plug into people's brains. Let's yeah, fucking hope that never happens. <laughs> one brain is enough. <laughs> one of those Imagine brain. how depressed we will be. Oh, <laughs> the collective depression of the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, on a most basic level, the way that I see red isn't how you see red. Mm. You know, it's like my 
you know, I'll never be able to explain to you what I see there. And then that's, you know, the most basic thing. You can take that onto any element of your life. Like the way we were literally having a conversation on the tube on the way here about how I love London and I love like certain elements of it because I get like a vibe and I was trying to explain to Jake what I like about it, but I can't put it to words because it's like a, a perception that I'll, um, you know, I'm just never going to be able to share. Mm-hmm. So in that respect, that concepts of like isolation that, you know, no matter how close you are to someone in the world, yes, you can have those moments that are like, that you can't put into words and that you share something that's on another plane, but really isolation is always going to be full because <laughs> you're, you're so, you know, internal, you can't ever really explain to people how you how you feel and how you explain and, th- and there's also that it, it's there's a damaging thing though i think for, for most people that, that that lie is perpetuated because of a fear of being alone yeah we're desperate um, to not be alone. yeah and so so we we convince ourselves of you know that that thing of you know people will believe anything either because they want it to be true or because they're scared that it's yeah. true mm. and um so all of these lies are created because of that we've got this kind of desperate avoidance of that when actually um, one thing I think would, I think is 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 a better way to go is is to kind of understand your own feelings about being alone and kind of be okay with it and not not associate that as a negative thing. Yeah. But I think we all we all do and we're all terrified of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so we make these like false connections. I mean, <clears> it's not necessarily saying that's a bad thing, but you know, you kind of make these false like things where you're like, yeah, I totally understand this thing or this person and. But yeah, like you say, it's it's not really true. If you really search a deep feeling, you don't really understand that person or that thing. It's like you're just trying to essentially make yourself feel better. And, and I think that's actually where where a lot of rifts between people come from because you because you we have expectations of other people because we we pretend that we connect on on, on something when, when actually what we should be doing is recognizing everyone as their own completely their own thing and and not having those expectations and kind of being. If you, if you work on being okay yourself, then you don't need certain things from, from other people. Yeah, um, people expect too much from each other. Mm, yeah, I mean, and we all do, like, I, I think, to, um, to some, you know, with certain people at least. Um, but yeah, I think that causes, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of the kind of conflicts that we have with other people. I quite like the idea of lying to yourself, though. I have this thing where, like, no matter what <laughs> viewpoint I have, I always try and Sometimes I even do it like for like hours. I'll argue a point that I don't even believe, just so that I'm like, a because it winds people up. <laughs> uh, because uh, you know, it's I think it's a good way of empathising. Like if you actually truly try and put yourself in like another, you know, another viewpoint, or you know, to really try and like understand it from another angle. Um, you know, people call it play devil's advocate or whatever. But yeah, I'd like the concept of like sort of lying to yourself in that respect, like trying to convince yourself things. Because sometimes it can change your own viewpoint, you know. Yeah, you, affirmations, for yeah. example. Mm, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, and that's you know, the positive of that, I guess, is that you're exploring other possibilities. You're not kind of getting stuck on one way of thinking. Yeah, and if you're in a room, you're not just basically sitting in a room with four people all agreeing on the same fucking thing for five hours. You can actually have a dialogue about something, you know. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, the notion of not being able to truly communicate, like not to be able to describe the redness of red, there's mm. like a term for it called qualia. Yeah. I don't know if you probably know. No, no, yeah. no, that's not oh, what's what's the word, where's for the word it? from? It's like, um, I can't remember who, some, some philosopher guy was yeah, just yeah. like, I'm going to invent this word and this is what the word's going to be. Okay, yeah, that's interesting. I'm sure I touched on it. I did a degree in psychology about fucking 500 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure that there was part of it that, that touched on that, the, you know, the concepts of, uh, you know, cogitation being like such a personal. Yeah, mm, that's not true. In fact, I'm pretty sure my dissertation was partly about that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's like, um, there's, it's also because we can't just communicate things, but it's also really easy to change someone's mind about something, mm. and we're easily manipulated without realizing. So easy to be manipulated, yeah. I don't know if you've heard about, there was a study where they found if you put um, smelly trash in a room and you ask someone questions about politics, they become more right wing. Wow. Legit, they, yeah, they, like, yeah. make someone more right wing, and like they experimented with the hippies, and they made them prison guards, they stopped yeah, using. Yeah, I, I, I was in Stanford. Stanford. Stanford prison experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there's it. a really good uh, film called That Experiment. Not the fucking shit Hollywood remake that they did, but the original um, uh, version, which is fucking great. Yeah, I, I remember all those now. I'm getting all these words coming back. <laughs> experiments like Pilly Abin and Zimmerman and. Milgram was the one that. Oh, Milgram, the Milgram was the electrician yeah. one. Yeah, That's that was interesting. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I I catch myself doing that all the time. Where I um, I, like some of my friends take the take the piss out of me because I I can be a bit of a fence sitter with things. I don't um, there's definitely certain topics where I don't fully commit to one one thing or the other. But um, and I think it's really it's really nice to be open. But then I think yeah, there's there's a danger where I I can be quite easily led without realizing it just from. You know when kind of things go into your into your head and you don't even know where you've yeah. where you've heard that, and then you hear yourself repeating it to someone else. And oh yeah, you know that thing where someone, you know, they're repeat, re, you know, repeating something as a truth, but it's like something that they've just heard on the grapevine. Right. No, 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 it, this is the thing. And I'm like, really? Is it? And they're like, where, where did you find that? And then you actually challenge them. They're like. Oh, actually, yeah, I think my mate John told me that he might have heard it on the news at some point. Yeah. It's not exactly set in stone, is it? Yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of when the lockdown was happening and everybody was getting texts from, oh, my sister's mate says that the army are moving in. Yeah. 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 On the M25. Yeah. And then, and then that, that within two people, someone's going, definitely the army's here, they're all here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know we jest about it, but I suppose in a strange way, that's how people end up being, you know, fucking crazy right-wing militants is like believing this thing yeah. is out to get them. And no one's yeah. important enough, honestly. No, like, What are they going to do? Like, advertise a really nice TV to you? Like, I, don't, like, I man, just don't care about uh, Yeah, I just don't even care if you don't die in a ditch, mate. Like, just, you know, whatever. <laughs> don't give a shit. <laughs> not out to get you because I don't give a fuck about it. <laughs> Oh, yeah, all right. In some ways, society kind of teaches us to not trust our primal instincts. Yeah. yeah. Trying to listen to what was apparently rationale when oftentimes it isn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's... Isn't that weird, though, what you're saying then about, like, sort of the idea that we give off their minds that we're basically ill? Yeah, yeah. It's like we that body's like a Yeah, it's like 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 like chemical yeah. Yeah. entities that yeah. every thought you have is a chemical reaction mm -hmm. right, right? yeah electricity is just chemistry <coughs> just sentient chemistry yeah well that's a really joyous note to go yeah. to the next <laughs> card with are we we are, we are rolling yeah? yeah 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 you give a thumbs up so i'm assuming that means we're good this is the next card okay. 
The beauty. Mm. Oh, <laughs> you're, you're not so jazzed about that. <laughs> no, I'm interested. You're interested? Oh, this is interesting when you're interested. This is one of the seven characters represented within these seven cards and the different aspects both of our own personalities and those around us. Also the parts they play in the drama of our lives. The beauty. A beautiful woman in a fine Tudor-style gown is seen looking at her reflection in a mullioned window, as if she is waiting to make her entrance and checking her appearance. This character stands for the element of passion and romantic love. For men it can mean a love affair of the sort that inspires great art. For women it can point to a flowering of the awareness of her sexuality, or the presence of a rival in love. The card can have implications of danger, and one aspect of the face of beauty can be a demanding pull. <laughs> It says that in the book. A demanding pull. Okay, quite. Well, you are quite a demanding pull. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the first time that's been said. <laughs> to be fair, you're not that demanding. No. No, I'm pretty easy. You're pretty easy. It's just a yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's interesting. I've, I've had a breakup earlier this year, um, and I've, um, I've definitely been thinking quite a lot for this year about... Because uh, I, I, I tend to be one of those people that has the same problems come up in, in every relationship I've had. Um, and I have, so I've been giving that a lot of thought since, since that happening, um, just about what I'm even after. Um, because norm, normally for me, uh, music always wins out and I, I, I end up not really giving the relationship the, the time that it deserves and, and you know, it, it inevitably doesn't work. Um, so yeah, that, that's been quite a prominent thing I've been thinking about, just um, you know, following that that's the thing that always wins out. So why not? Why aren't I just pursuing that and kind of um, yeah? I think I don't know. I think I always get caught up in relationships just from really liking the person enough that I kind of I like the the idealism of, of it without actually thinking like how how that need, needs to happen in order to work out. You know. Um, but yeah, I, I think I've kind of landed on this place now where I really want to just just focus on my love for music and, and that, that side of my life and not um, not so much closing a door but I think I've just uh, I've just decided to recognize something that I was kind of repeating the same same problem um, well I think the, you know the traditional sort of like idea of what people do with their lives has been broken down now the idea that you have to you know, get married in a 2.4 children family yeah it's uh, you know sort of <coughs> I guess linked in with the sort of dismantling of the patriarchy but it's like um, you know people are sort of becoming a bit more confident to follow their path into what the things that they actually love and their passions and taking that through yeah it's, I, I had a really interesting conversation with a friend a while ago about about this where we were um, she's single as well and we were just talking about how traditionally um, and maybe sort of older generations there's this kind of pattern that everyone follows where you um, you know you have lots of friends in your, your younger life you eventually settle down with someone, and your your sort of circles kind of slowly close off until you until really you're only spending time with your family and, and kind of um, you know you see a lot of um, a lot of people of kind of old generations that have reached a certain age and they don't they kind of just slowly lose touch with certain friends and not that they fall out with them but you just your world kind of gets smaller and, and based around family. Um, so I was talking to my friend about, do you think that's a generational thing or just a, a natural thing that, all, that humans always instinctively do? Because, so we were talking about this idea of like, so what happens if we're 50 and we, we, we haven't pursued sort of uh, settling down with someone or whatever, 
is is that going to be different for us? Or are we going to then keep a wider circle of friends sort of close to us? Or is there an inevitability to kind of slowly shrinking down your world? And um, but yeah, I find that interesting because it's um, I think even people that aren't really sold on kind of traditional sort of uh, stereotypes with, with kind of relationships and whatever. I think we, a lot of us still kind of follow it without really thinking. Yeah. Um, so, so actually challenging that and actually asking yourself kind of what, yeah, what is my ideal sort of eventuality with, with that? Like if, or if I follow it, follow it down this path, what? Um, it kind of comes back to that fear of being alone as well, where you kind of, even if you don't really, relationships don't really suit you or, or at a certain point in your life they don't suit you, but then quite often your decisions are driven by not being alone. Um, I think it could be linked to with identity as well, you know, like in the more traditional set point, you know, you almost identify with your family, you know, you'd be like, oh, little Jimmy Riddle, isn't it? He's from fucking number eight, Edward Street or whatever, you know, like yeah. his dad's a fucking welder or whatever, you know. Like you were so defined by that sort of uh, where you're placed in the, in the local community. And now that communities have sort of been broken down and people talk about that it's been a bad thing but I think that one positive thing that comes from it is that you're less sort of encaged by that uh, family sort of path or, or expectation you know, yeah or or sort of format you know you're not defined by where you came from as such yeah it's like you can actually you can be a bit more free to be defined as how you want to be defined and, and depending on what you've done rather than where you've like yeah. what sect you come from? I I've always hated that anyway. I I, I like uh, you know I'm very close to individual members of my family, but I've never really liked um, the the idea of kind of family as a unit. I don't really yeah, like, yeah, and I've always instinctively kind of shied away from that. And I have I like building individual relationships with members of my family, but but seeing them as people. And um, I'm very close to my mum, but I I don't I've always kind of had more of that kind of relationship with her, where I don't, I don't want to just see her as this kind of family role thing. I, you know, I want to, I want to know her as a, as a person. You know, it's the same with a lot of other people in my family. Um, but yeah, so I think, I think I've, I've always been quite resistant to that kind of that idea of. Well, yeah, I think as well. Like, you know, when you play in a band, you know, the, the concept of what family is kind of gets broadened because you're, yeah. you're band and your surroundings. Are, you know, you see them way more than your fucking family. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it certainly becomes. Comes its own family unit anyway, playing, playing yeah. bands, isn't it? But then it's quite a nice thing because going back to you know saying about love and things, is that you can sort of you know you you can choose your friends, you can't choose your family, right? So the nice thing about rejecting those sort of traditional values, obviously you can still have love for your family, but choosing something and the path that you've chosen, it's like you're you're throwing your energy and your time into your love and your passion rather than you know what you're expected to do, expectation. And, Mm. Uh, things like that, and you can break down those kind of concepts, and I think people can be more free. Uh, you know, expectations are a really heavy thing for a lot of people, um, especially different people in different walks of life, different uh, you know areas of the world have different expectations of what people should or shouldn't do within themselves and within their life. So I think the more that we can break a lot of those things down, the more people are free to pursue their passion and that can only be a better thing for the world and make the world more colourful 
beautiful place, man. <laughs> that was very positive sounding. Such a fucking hippie. <laughs> <laughs> me and Jake have this thing where we call ourselves Nile hippies, where we just we hate everything, but we kind of love everything. It's like we hate everyone so much that you know the, the earth has to come back through and the weeds have to come back through and destroy humanity, but in a really like sort of naturalistic way. So it's like nihilism and fucking hippie mentality all in one. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's my favorite band, well, one of my favorite bands called Rape. They kind of really have a lot of that in their lyrics about the earth taking back from uh, from um, yeah, the scourge that is human. <laughs> yes, I feel like it is kind of happening as well. Like it is something that is definitely real. It's almost like I hate to sound like that guy because I know it was becoming a bit of a joke during the whole COVID that you know, like, oh, humanity is the virus, COVID is the cure. Yeah, 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 but like it is like humanity has been a pretty pretty damning influence on this planet. What was that thing I said to you the other day? It's like a yeah. What if plants are actually farming us and they're yeah, yeah, yeah. oxygen yeah. until we just decompose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Iggy was saying. Um, no, that's a whole theory. Yeah. And like, yeah, because they're controlling you. They're giving you like a. They're giving you like the fruits to actually like go and get their kids another place to grow. Yeah. You yeah. get the fruit and you get you get a reward, but they're basically just giving. They're basically working for you. You're manipulating the doggy tree of oxygen. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a little bit more oxygen, well yeah. done. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically the premise of that M. Night Shyamalan film, The Happening. It's a terrible movie, but it's the... the uh, oh, that's really, is that the one with Mark Wahlberg doing the worst acting I've ever yeah. seen? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which Mark Wahlberg film was that? I've, I've seen him be alright in some films, but that yeah. film was like... Oh, yeah, right. The only thing he's been alright in is the Marky Mark things in and like our relationship with fungus as well, I think even the same to you, like mushrooms basically made us sentient. Well, like, fungus and mungus. Fungus and mungus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird how like, we're literally just fertilizer, if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. like distribute seeds in convenient places and then we die. This is one thing I, I was talking about funerals, and um, I just like I really hate the idea. I don't like the idea of being um, cremated because I feel like it's the it's like the final selfish act that you can do as a human is not give your body back to the ground. Mm -hmm. But I also hate the idea of being buried in a coffin. Like I, I always joke, I don't like but yeah, I hate yeah. them. I, I always joke, but I'm actually deadly serious. I, I really wish when. Um, at my funeral that I could actually just be kicked naked into a ditch and then just have all my mates kind of kick dirt off <laughs> my body and then just be left like just to rot and like feed, feed the worms and yeah like a sky burial yeah. um, actually when we but without about the names for brave lines sky burial was one name that we'd actually considered well that was what actually the um burial for the bird in the sky is about that I, but I was yeah. I was reading about the fact that um I might be I might be telling this wrong um but I was reading about that there was a there was a point where they would do it where that was more prominent and that was happening more when um, because of all the toxins and, and all, all the poisons that the, the humans had started to kind of take into their body that all, all these birds were dying from devouring the devouring the corpses it was something like that um, but it was actually like yeah it's like this really it's a really beautiful idea but actually we were like we ended up poisoning nature by by doing that. Um, presence is so poisonous. Yeah, I think it was something Even to do with, it was something with cattle, yeah. cattle being being like toxic because of the way we'd reared them and then we were eating them. I can't remember exactly the, the details, but it was really, it was a really fucked up thing that started happening where it was, it was really having negative impact on, on... I suppose if you think about it holistically though, you know, like you think about every single element of the universe and nature being all part of one, then even being cremated, you are still giving yourself to the earth because you're going to be going into the sky and then coming down back onto the earth anyway, like, 
Yeah. Yeah, I, but I just feel it's like just we need to. Direct. You need we to need to feel like satisfaction thing, man. It's a nice slow process. No, I want to. I want to feed. I want to feed the fucking the creepy crawlers. I want to feed the worms, man. I want to be a tree. I'm meant to be in a tree. It's supposed to be in like a weedy thing. I was reading a lot about burial practices because I'm really into them as well. I think maybe it's a thing that's seen as like, but. Like the the ones in like Mesopotamia, you get buried alive if you were in the court, and they give you like a, a tea that you drink, and then you basically they did it in layers. So the most important people at the bottom, and then you had like musicians were like third. Okay. And um, in in Ur they had like they found an entire band of like harpists and singers who died while they were playing their instruments. Wow. Because they were buried whilst they were playing, and like the harpist's fingers were still touching the strings. Oh, amazing. And then you've got like you've got like um, towers of silence in Persia as well. Yeah, so yeah. like you you're not so your body is rationalism, your body isn't supposed to touch the earth because mm. it's like it will corrupt and like um, poison your flesh. Yeah. So they put you in like a stone tower and then the birds like give you a gift to, yeah. to nature. And like vultures, um, their stomach acids can like destroy black plague and really things like that. So it actually makes sense in like terms of actually controlling disease pre us fucking up yeah, the world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like then eventually your bones would remain. I think they'd be swept into the center, and there'd be Amazing. like a little channel that would like take all the dust to the sea. Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I love. I love. I mean, anything that, that that removes all of the kind of unnatural, you know, being locked in a box or or just being incinerated. I think just feeding feeding yourself back to nature. I think it's like the the it's it's the one thing that we can we can give back, which which you know we we have taken from the earth in the first place. So it's kind of it's not really ours to to not give back if you know what I mean. Um, but yeah, I, I yeah I just love the idea of being being consumed by things in the ground or, or yeah or in the sky or whatever. I, I think that's kind of that's the only that's that's the only kind of beautiful way that I can see you know to happen after you die. I think. Yeah, I'm just less sort of beautiful as the idea of you kicking you down the thing and yeah, just sitting in the naked wang and just fucking. Yeah, yeah. I just, <laughs> I just <laughs> thought that would that'd be a nice like comedy moment just just before the, the final before will. Will. I, I wanted to I wanted to make it really unceremonious because I just I think um, I just think it'd be funny. I think, I think the hard part would be explaining to the police van going past that we haven't just killed you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, what's going on here, lads? And they're like, no, he's already dead. Like, right, carry on. <laughs> I quite like the idea as well. Of, you know, like funerals are essentially are for the people left behind to grieve. So it's like, it's just like a, like a final dickhead thing to do. It's like, take that away a bit and go, no, you've got to do this really awkward, embarrassing thing. Just... Yeah. I always wanted to be laid out like a banquet for my mates so a little side. No. <laughs> I, I I would not I would not partake. I that. mean, which bit would you have? None, none of it. If I had to choose, I'd probably get a fine. Well they say between the fingertips is the tastiest part oh, yeah. of the I've seen how many chemicals have gone into your body, I don't, I don't think. Should it be roasted or boiled? Oh, Marinated. I think it's got to be a good roasting. Yeah? <laughs> gravy? Yeah, yeah I've got, got a bit of fucking gravy on there. Got a bit of moisture. Yeah. <laughs> have you seen... I'm a dry motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> have, you, have you seen that, um, this is like really morbid, but in um, 
abattoirs, they have like a machine that they put pigs into that like spins them around to get all the hair off. Oh, but they don't have to do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's horrific. I think I, I saw a clip of it on a documentary and then turned it off. But um, yeah, that'd be quite fun. Yeah, I mean, that's the last thing you need. <laughs> did you ever go to the Hunterian Museum? Yeah, I love that place. Too. Yeah. Uh, did you hear about, you know, the really big skeleton at the back? Yeah. That, that guy, he didn't want them to get his body because he knew that the Hunter brothers would want to display his skeleton in their oh. museum. And he asked for a burial at sea so that it couldn't retrieve it, but then um, the hunters bribed the sailors no. to get his body. Final betrayal. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, that's fucked. Yeah, that place is cool. There's also the one that at St. Bart's. Have you ever been to that I've one? I've heard about it. It's fucking amazing. That's almost even better than the hunter. And I went to a talk there on uh, Mary Shelley and Frankenstein. Nice. And it's like in that place with all this uh, uh, artifacts. What, what was that place we went to in Philadelphia? That had oh, the, like, the, like, the books with like skin it's, covers and yeah, it's cool. human skin. It's called the Museum of Medical Oddities. Yeah. So it's like all the like weirdest bits of the Hunterians. It's all like conjoined twins and stuff like that. It's a really cool place. Yeah, our friend Kimsley was there. It's really cool. Yeah. Body parts in jars is a pretty weird way to be uh, immortalised. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Victorians were fucked up people, man. Like, <laughs> Do you ever see Rasputin's um, jarred? No. Yes. Yeah, yeah I've seen a someone that um, basically preserved his uh, his member. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, it's, it's horrifying. <laughs> is it large? Really? <laughs> it's really wow. big. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't kill him, so I mean, yeah. it was, it was uh, <laughs> <laughs> <a> man. <laughs> So how he broke out the ice, he just got oh, up and yeah. just appears for a bit. I'll show you a picture at the end it's of the really podcast. <laughs> I guess? I, that, that's really weird. No, maybe I won't. Oh god. I never put sense on a dick pic in my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do one, that's, that's a pretty epic one. To but imagine just skating across the ice and just seeing that. Just <laughs> like, just what, is that strange mole? Face's body preserved as well in Russia. Is it Lenin? Yeah, that's going, too, yeah. It's weirdly preserved. I think a lot of the you know fucking celebrities these days, like Bill Gates and that, are like going to get themselves <coughs> cryogenically done. So that brings up all sorts of fucking weird sci-fi shit to me. Like, yeah. There's a, there's a philosopher, Yuval Noah Harari, who believes that immortals or like humans that will live hundreds of years are currently alive right now. Yeah, it's quite possible. I mean, if you think about it, like, like the oldest people now are like 120 odd. So they were, must have been born sort of 1900. And if you yeah. went to someone who was already 60 in 1900 and said people are going to be double your age, they'd be like, what the fuck, I'm on my deathbed as it is. Yeah. 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 You know, I think this is the problem. Like, humans aren't necessarily meant to last that long. And so I'm not saying in like a Rastafari type of way, but you know, the medicines and things like that, I don't, you know, like everything we've talked about today, it's like every plus point also has like massive negative and vice versa, you know. Yeah, medicine's great because, you know, your grand gets to stay alive for an extra fucking 50 years, but not what it costs, you know. But yeah, maybe if we're supposed to die when we're X time, I'm not saying like necessarily believe in paths of fate or anything like that, but if it's the time to go, maybe it's the time to fucking I go. quite like the idea of just waiting until the, the robot uprising <laughs> and then just setting out humanity and getting converted into a cyborg. And, and, and I'd love to be a robot. You might as well just pain. see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> might as well just see how that is for a while. If you're going to set out humanity, you might get a life of robot luxury. Exactly, yeah, I'll be like, I'll be like the, the pet human. Yeah. With a, like a head on a sort of robot. You know, like the best oil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oiling up my joints and everything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm come back to robots again. Yeah, I just... <laughs> uh, should we... Card? 
unseen mill above it, with a strong brick wall showing, whilst golden fish swim among the reeds. That's one of the hardest words in the English language. This card represents the principle of things endlessly changing yet forever staying the same. It stands for constancy and persistence. Mm. Are you constant and persistent? <laughs> Constantly persistent. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's definitely a, a truth, though, you know, things being different but staying the same. Um, I guess, you know, in, in a music sense, you can always try and reinvent what you're doing and things like that, but at the end of the day, like, a lot of what, what you're doing is kind of uh, been done before to a certain extent, so I think sometimes it's about understanding that and embracing the idea that you don't have to be breaking the mold every five seconds to be legitimate, you know. Um, you can sort of... Uh, exist within a place of taking influences from various points to create a new thing without necessarily, you know, coming up with a whole new concept from, from the top, you know. Mm -hmm. um, just embracing the fact that you as a person and four individual people within a band will create like a nice, you know, blend of things that will be unique without it necessarily needing to be this like pre-concept of <coughs> changing something. Yeah, I find, I find that the whole idea of the, the concept of sort of continuity and, and rebirth and stuff interesting. Um, I've, I've, I've actually used that in definitely in some song lyrics, um, but again, kind of looking at the negative side of that. Um, I, I like how it can have these kind of dual meanings where it, where it can be this kind of really beautiful thing about things coming around and, and ends being beginnings and all of this. But it also, for me, I, I've always found it as a really strong representation of, of humanity, where it's kind of devouring itself. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I've got three <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, yeah, the, the last dead existence album we did was a, was a, a human eating his own feet. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated with that as a symbol. It's got a completely overused, um, overdone kind of symbol, but, it, but because it's so, it's true. Yeah, and it's so, it's such a kind of basic sort of idea. Um, and you know, and, and the, on the positive side of it as well, when you're kind of, you know, the idea of kind of working on yourself and trying trying to kind of better yourself, um, but you never really, um, it kind of goes back to talking about therapy a, a little bit, but you never really, that, that whole process and the whole, the whole uh, goal of kind of trying to improve yourself and, and, and become better, um, but you never really escape who you are. So it's kind of about understanding yourself, but, but you, you always come, come full circle and come back to, you know, like recognizing mistakes we've made, um, it's it's quite likely we're going to repeat those mistakes anyway. Yeah. But it's just we just hope we can repeat them in slightly less of a of a fucked way, or you know. Um, so yeah, there's that kind of um, every, everything always comes back down to to like to who you are, and yeah. Um, but yeah, I also in a kind of really morbid way, I just I think that I think it's the perfect representation of, of 
how humans are, the way that we just kind of devour and devour and we're, we're so kind of short-sighted. Um, and that's like obviously devouring physically, um, the, you know, looking at um, global warming and, you know, resources running out and things like that. But also, I think just mentally and kind of spiritually, we're, we're um, not, not that everyone is, but I think we have a disposition towards that kind of... Um, just that kind of greedy, sort of gluttonous way that we consume everything. Yeah, um, it's sort of like ravenous, ravenously self-sabotaging. Mm, yeah, 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 it's like uh, you know, we just got this sort of incessant need to fucking destroy ourselves. Yeah, yeah. and that's definitely a, a common theme within Graveline's stuff. Is is to do with uh, yeah, a lot of the lyrics are kind of always exploring that kind of um, kind of going right down into like. It, you know, within us, that these kind of processes that are, that are sort of um, poisonous to ourselves, and, and kind of uh, all of all of those kind of lines of thinking, and that and those those thought processes that, are, yeah, ultimately we're kind of devouring ourselves and kind of um, uh, like limiting limiting ourselves with where we can go. You know, we're kind of just chasing chasing our, ourselves and chasing our tails and kind of. There could be something quite beautiful about that. Like, there's like a weird sort of like resonance and you know, calmness that you find about charging through the fucking high of destruction, you know, it's like self-destruction can be quite a weirdly calming thing. And it's when, when you know you're eating your own feet, feet you might as well cook them and put some <laughs> yeah. like seasoning I mean, if I was flexible enough to eat my own feet, I'd be doing something right. <laughs> 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 yeah. Do you find that, like, that kind of takes away the pressure of needing to have a sense of resolution? And like of the pressure of trying to make yourself happy, because like this, there's an idea of like this stoic idea of like there's no fucking point in pursuing happiness because happiness lasts for like ten seconds and then you're back. So why not just be human? Yeah, but I think I, I mean, yeah, I, I would agree with that. But I, I've maybe I've, I've interpreted it slightly different. But I think I think it's how you're pursuing happiness. Yeah, so I, think, I agree. I think you can you can find happiness, and and that's that's a beautiful thing to pursue. But if you're doing it in the wrong way. You're never really going to be satisfied or fulfilled. Yeah. So it's kind of enjoying any of those moments, like for what they are in, in the moment, rather than you know, rather than like I I need to I need this to happen and then I'll be happy. That then you'll never yeah, be it's happy. Like an addiction. Like There's something quite yeah. gross about people like obsessively searching for happiness. You know, it's mm. like almost quite a, I don't know. It's quite a turn off. Like people just like consistently obsessed with this notion of trying to seek this thing. You know, but it, it's also so. this thing that you, it, you know, it comes back to relationships, you know, romantically or, or with friends or with anything, but you know that kind of um, push and pull thing where the more desperately you, you're chasing after something, the more that person or that thing will pull away from you. Yeah. So um, it, people that have a, a kind of desperation behind trying to be happy or like find, um, yeah, find, get something like that. But if, if, if they're doing it in, the, in that kind of way that they're, ne they're never really going to get their hands on it. Then, like coming back to the real, it's like this thing that we we know that that's the thing that we still do. It. Yeah, I was gonna say I'm talking like I've sorted it myself out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When we say people, we mean like us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I have so many moments where I'm where I think um, no, I'm generally I'm 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 genuinely okay. Like this is you know this is good. Like what, what's going on? And then the next day, I'm like, fuck, I'm back here again. What the what the fuck? You know, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, but but yeah, I think like what you were saying, it's that thing of. That being okay, 
Yeah. Like, t landing back in that place doesn't mean that you've gone back on yourself. It means that you've gone around again. And yeah. This is what we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier with, like, habitualness, addiction, and things like that, you know, like, um, substance abuse, you know, you can you can kind of still be in the eye of the storm, but kind of still be learning from it and understanding your place um, and where that sits within your own, um, you know, psyche and in and things like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, a, you can still be, you know, fucking essentially half a junkie, but like kind of understanding that that's not necessarily, you know, the, the way that you, the path, you know, that your life needs to end up on, but it's all, Part of the journey, you know. Like, the process is always going to start from in the middle of that, yeah, anyway. And the journey is important, man. Like, yeah, of course, you want to end up in a good place, but you know, you, you kind of have to go to hell and back to understand, you know, the beauty of the place that you're going to arrive at, or you know, like I said, like there's certain certain beautiful elements of nihilism and self destruction that kind of come through as well. So you, to discover yourself, you have to. You can't just cruise through like on a fucking cloud, man. You gotta to go to the bottom of the fucking gutter to understand who you are. Yeah? It's such a common thing as well, isn't it? You, you know, with most I think with most people that kind of pursuit of happiness or like what what do I need to do to, to be okay and to feel okay. Um, so I kind of yeah I, I I find it a very common common conversation that I have with different people and it's and it's so it kind of goes back to that thing of not really ever fully understanding each other. So it's like, it's such a intangible thing to discuss with someone else because we don't we don't understand what someone else's pain or happiness feels like and the things that each individual person would kind of needs and wants um to give them those moments of happiness are different so it's kind of um yeah like trying to explain to someone that like you know listening to one direction is actual hell and you know, they'll probably just be like, hi, oh, you don't like them. Like, no, 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 you don't understand. This is actual hell. And yeah, there are people in the world that that brings them real happiness. Yeah, yeah that's so, their like, reason for being. Yeah. yeah. I feel that way about reggae. It's funny, I think everyone has that like one type of music that just just turns them off, man. For me, it's like UK Garage. I, I think UK Garage for me because I associate it with people that I went to school with that I still hate more than anyone I've met in my adult life, mm -hmm. which is insane because I basically hate a small child from the 90s. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't even know who they are anymore, but I hate that kid. I hate him so much. This is and all about Derek from Barnet. This is the whole reason. <laughs> 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 Fucking Derek. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been called Derek. I don't think anyone's been called Derek since 19. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, uh, that's... Um, uh, I can't remember what we were saying. Sorry. Hating <laughs> small children from the 90s. Yeah, I hate them. No, it's good. Um, <laughs> now, what were you saying? About people like loving one direction and hating one direction. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. I was oh, yeah, just, just saying a few comparisons. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's uh, purely that association with, with that, that music is just a, a very small section of my life. But, but, but yeah, you know, you know, there's some experiences that you can't separate the people 100%. from. 100%. From so I think there's, there's definitely ones that you know. Those things that you hated that you then become to love, like I used to hate beetroot and now I fucking love it. I used to hate opera and now I quite like it. You know, I do think most genres of music, if people that say, "Oh, I hate that entire genre," like if they don't, there's nothing to say they have to challenge this. Mm. 
but I think if they wanted to, yeah, I could sure. almost guarantee they'd find something they liked. I, yeah. I think if I went on like a one week long um, love reggae course, yeah, like yeah. I'd, I'd probably find reggae something reggae like. But it's, it's just it's kind of like saying like there's a diamond in that bucket of shit, but like you have to get in it. Yeah. It's like, do you, do you, are you willing to do the work to find the diamond or not? It's, it's not. Fun. I, I, I suppose that's kind of like what we were talking about earlier about not genreizing things and actually just realizing the things that you love and the things that you don't. It's more important to like love a certain band or music, mm-hmm. uh, you know, artist or song, than an overall genre. I think the key with reggae is if you call it dub, it seems a bit cooler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that if I'm, I'm sure my ignorance here, I'm sure there's a <laughs> difference between the two. <laughs> I like Ika Mouse. That's, <laughs> there is something really enjoyable. There's something really enjoyable when you're um, when you're talking to someone who who's, who's obsessed with a genre of music you haven't really explored, and like whether you've got negative thoughts about it or not. But I, I really enjoy that. Um, I've had I've had a few people in my life that I've I've done that with where we've kind of swapped. Um, like someone I was dating for a while, we, we every week we would send each other an album, oh, but but then write a description of kind of what, like how important it was to us and. Um, and yeah, she was sending me a lot of kind of sort of uh, indie, kind of quite poppy, indie, folky kind of stuff, which I like I like some of that music, but not. it was a lot of artists that I wouldn't, wouldn't have really gone into. Um, and then some older stuff that I've just never gone with, but yeah, yeah there's something to, really enjoyable about that process. I tried to start doing that with Joey from Callus, except like, I sent him one, he sent me one, and then we were like, mm, yeah, maybe let's not do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, do you know what, I did, I did do that with someone who really likes Meshuggah and, and those kind of bands, and that, I think after like the third metal band that I just, I was like, this isn't my, this isn't my thing. Not because not it was metal, but it was, yeah, it was a certain type of stuff that I just, but yeah, it can be rewarding anyway to do that, I think. You know what, I actually quite like Meshuggah, I just really can't stand their album covers. It's just like weird, like computer generated. Yes, yeah. it's something. It's like it looks like it was made on like some sort of like nineties program that was supposed to look futuristic. Yeah, <laughs> I know. Exactly well, yeah. yeah, I think I, uh, I've got a weird thing with them where I, I think they, I think they're great, but I just don't ever want to put them on. I, like, I don't, I don't, I don't ever I don't feel like I need to listen to them. But yeah. if someone asks me what I think of them, they're like, yeah, they're, they're, that's I a great band. Amazing. But they all play like, World of Warcraft, so I love them. <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of bands like that though that you can, that, you know, there's a lot of bands I love, but I wouldn't necessarily go home and put on my stereo. Yeah. You know? Like there's a lot of bands I like as live bands, and then there's other bands that I like, you know, if they're on in a bar and I'm with some mates that are into that kind of thing, I'm really that into it. But I wouldn't necessarily go home and it's not on my car playlist. Just like, yeah. oh god, no, I can't fucking do it, my head wants to explode. It looks like you're trying to like, 
describe yourself using one word. Like yeah. it's those things they do to you at school, where they'd be like, exactly, oh, just yeah. come up with a stupid task to fill up time before break. I yeah. think it's uh, too much. Yeah, it's like it's like trying to simplify something that's like too I, too like ingrained. It's like you know, if you try to anything you try and describe in the universe is pointless because the you know the molecules are ever fucking changing and you know you're not the same person you were seven years ago so if I say I like Jake I'm like well which Jake you know what I mean there's fucking there's, dead Jake yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't like that I um I also feel like because I, I always want to discover new music and I'm, and I'm always trying to do that um like go back to old bands that I that I never got around to exploring and discover new stuff so Usually my favourite band is whatever new thing that I've just found that week um, or that month or whatever. I'll tell you what, I just one thing I just could never have with my favourite band, and this is no diss on anyone, but you know the whole word I was saying earlier, like Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath, ACDC, I mean, fucking hell, man. Like, you know, have a fucking opinion, right? There's, there's, there's other bands out there, man. Like, it's, it's, it's almost one. like I don't, I wouldn't even deny, uh, like I, I certainly like some, some Black Sabbath, but it's it's... You know when you get those people that are kind of... It's their personality. Yeah, it's like, don't, <laughs> you don't need to... They've been talked about quite a lot. Like, you can, you could probably yeah. talk about some other music that maybe yeah. people haven't heard. I think they've had their time. Like, <laughs> we're, we're good. Like, yeah. I, could, I could never hear ACDC again and my world, my world would be, like, probably a better place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, my least favourite metal bands are the Big Four. And Iron Maiden. I detest Iron Maiden. I, I can't stand them. <laughs> Weirdly... I was actually talking to Matt about this a while ago. Um, we were talking about music that we listened to as teenagers, but I, we had quite a different experience where Matt was saying that he listens, most of the bands he listened to at that age he still liked. But I, I went through this kind of exploration where I hadn't really decided what kind of metal and, and heavy stuff that I liked. So I went through all the kind of thrash bands, and I, I can't stand most thrash metal now. Um, I went to see like Iron Maiden live when I was about sixteen, and I and I hate their music. It makes me cringe. Um, <laughs> I just it makes, it, makes feel, it makes me feel physically sick now. Yeah. But I did at one point in time. I, I liked them enough to go and watch them live. Yeah. So there's definitely things that I kind of explored as a kid that um, that I then landed later on. Like no, it's not for me. I, I think in a strange way, I'm almost sort of going against my own words here because I sort of said earlier that you know you should just be focused on what you're you're doing and not what everyone else is doing, but. For me, I actually quite like Black Sabbath. I quite like Iron Maiden, some of it. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but what I detest is the way that people hold them on a pedestal. Mm. You know, that's the thing I can't, you know, this whole Tony Iron is a god. He's not a god, he's a fucking bloke from Birmingham, mate. Like, it's, get it's, over yourself. It's also mate. not interesting, it's not an it's interesting conversation. Yeah, it's not yeah. an interesting conversation to talk about someone, a band that, that is constantly talked about like yeah. it's, that's been explored every corner of that and, and that's nothing against them you know if you like i love sabbath but i don't need to talk about them because we know what black sabbath is you know, yeah that, that's got its place it's yeah. permeated like yeah. the fabric of music yeah. 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 i know what that means to me i know what it means to fucking every doom fan in the world and i, I love their music and when it comes on i'm fucking like yeah it's fucking wicked but you know, I feel like we're at a point in our lives now where we can move past this. You know, yeah. like fucking, you know, there's 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 a couple of other bands out there, guys. Like, you know, let's let's start talking about. It's like it's like you're talking about sandwich fillings and just the, yeah. like half the room every time is like peanut butter. I love peanut butter. <laughs> yeah. like, all right, we've we talked about <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're all into peanut butter. You don't need to say it. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some weird shit like fucking. I don't know. That fucking. 
Piccolilly. Yeah, I've asked Anthony Piccolilly. Oh, I right. never know what Piccolilly is. Is it a chicken thing? It's, no, it's like, it's like a mustardy, pickly kind yeah. of thing. I thought it was one of those things that people made up. Like, I thought Toad in the Hole was a joke. Piccolilly is like one of those things that you eat and you're like, nothing I put in my body should be this colour. <laughs> uh, it, it looks like a jar of sick, but it tastes very yeah. It's Coronation chicken. It's yeah, yeah, it's cool. yes. I don't. I've never had Coronation chicken. I, I don't oh. want to put it in my mouth. I don't. I don't want. I don't. I'm not. I'm not into fruit being with. Oh, I love that. Like I don't like fruit <laughs> in puddings, and I don't like fruit in in like savoury dishes. In fruit. Yeah, keep the raisins yeah. off the chicken. That's ridiculous. Wait, is that chronic? Yeah. Yeah, it's got yeah. raisins in it. It's <laughs> pretty good. Man. Yeah. Yeah, it does nothing for me. So when you order a curry and you get like a really moist sultana. Yeah. No. Oh, they put no. it in curry. Yeah. Oh yeah, I've been to yeah. so many. Curry places where they've had, yeah. It's like a little cheeky sultana. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. 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 Stones yeah, I, the crunch. So I like, I like the taste of pomegranates, but putting that in a salad is is fucked up. I just it, oh. yeah, I can't. It's like I can't switch gears halfway through. Yeah, I put pomegranates like in everything. Really, yeah. I like yeah. the sweet and savoury thing. Like oh, you know, like if you, and like especially if you put chili with sweet. So like yeah. peanut butter with chili. Oh no, that's good. Uh, yeah. Peanut butter and Tabasco sauce is, is so good. You know what? Peanut butter. I don't, I don't eat meat anymore, but peanut butter, chili, and Parma ham on a bagel. Fuck Ooh. me. I, I <laughs> get the salt, the fucking chili, yeah. and then the the crunch of the nut as well. Oh, it's sweet and it's yeah. I had a, I had a wrap when I was drunk and I was like scavenging in my my ex's um, fridge when I, when I was with her, and um, I think I put spinach, cheese, peanut butter, and Tabasco sauce in it. Oh, it's cool. all good. Right. I, when I was at school, if I don't want to go to school the next day, I have to make a horror sandwich. I just put everything I could in the sandwich, eat it, and throw up, and not have to go to school. Oh, no! That was my, That's like, cunning. one-way ticket. Horror <laughs> sandwich. That's like that shit you when you were a kid, and you basically take, like, a little bit of all your parents' spirits. <laughs> my, uh, my sister has the most, has concocted the most grotesque sandwich known to man. She would eat some crisps, Chew up the crisps into a fine paste. What? And then sandwich that crisp paste <laughs> into two other crisps and then eat. Disgusting thing. You're going to take an Oreo. Yes. Oh my god. It's horrible. Oh my god. Should you be telling people this? <laughs> people, need to, people need to know because it's frankly. No, but disgusting. I, I don't think that's that disgusting because yeah. that's come from. If it's come from your own mouth, it's <laughs> changing the consistency yes, and then so reshaping it. Cal, Cal, Cal's not full of stomachs, they chew the cud and plants my yeah, I love yeah. your sister a cat. <laughs> 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 they do it too, they poo and then they eat the poo again. Yeah. Well, well, <laughs> sorry, nothing. Yeah, but I draw the line there. But, yeah. <laughs> so we've gone from uh, the wheel, progressiveness, <laughs> to eating your own shit. I mean, it's relevant. Full circle, isn't it? Basically, everything comes right down to Gigi Allen one way or another. <laughs> well, I think that means it's time for the next card. Yeah, I think, I think so. The eating your own shit card, actually. <laughs> the fecal card. The fecal card. I wonder if there probably is a fecal card. This is the next this card. The sage. Ooh. Oh, that's very, um, the other end. So it's number 31. Okay, let me just find number 31. A bit of sage and onion stuff in. <laughs> I love sage. It smells like. It's all a bit about food from now. <laughs> I'm cool with that. Um, an aged monk sits at his desk making notes and sketches. All around him are the artifacts which symbolize ancient wisdom. This card stands for wisdom. 
learning or science, it is perhaps, my voice is going, <coughs> it is perhaps advising us to draw on the traditional store of wisdom that has come down through the ages. It stands for received authority, for family tradition, for prudence and professions. Well, I mean, we've already touched on sort of dismantling that kind of uh, notion, but uh, I suppose, you know, we are, whether we like it or not, like sub subjective to wisdom in the respect that it doesn't even have to, it has to be from a person, you know, like the wisdom of the earth and, you know, what's around us does affect us, you know, like we were saying, you know, you can try and do your own thing, but, you know, whatever you have had in your life will impart itself on you, so I can sit here and say that I may not have had influences on me, but they are, you yeah. know, it's like everything, and I think it's about embracing that, embrace the things that are around you, and the things that, all every little microcosm of thing that, that you experience makes you into what you are, you know, your personality is a is a build-up of all of those things and how you've interpreted them, and that's what makes us individuals as people, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, on the other side of that, I really, like, it just makes me think of the process of, um, you know, whatever you do in life, you know, whatever kind of creative passion you have or, or sort of personal pursuits or whatever, um, I've always really enjoyed that process of, of having people kind of younger than you that, that are maybe coming to you for, for, for some kind of insight. Um, and just being in that position where you can, you can on, on some occasions, you can kind of, you've got something to say, you've got something to pass on, whether it's correct or not. <laughs> um, but then, and then in, the, you know, in the same day, you could have some, you could, be, you could feel lost and have someone kind of older or more experienced in something new. Um, I definitely have always felt that with music, where I've, I've had, um, I, I find it really joyful when, when there's someone younger or someone kind of newer to it that, that you can, you know, they ask you something and you've actually got something to say to them that you're like, I think I can actually help you with this. Um, but then having those people kind of above you that, that you, um, you know, you find the sort of guiding presence or, or that kind of um, direct you a bit, I just think... It's something, and it's not exclusive to music. It's you know, or, or even creative things. It, it could be with anything. But I, I think that's that is a, a really positive interaction that happens with people. I think with, with most people. I really like it when the wisdom comes back up the other way though. So like, if there might be someone that you've mentored a bit with like music and things, and then one day they bring something to you and show mm. you something that you didn't know, and you're like, it's like going back up the chain yeah. the other way. I love that. I think it. I think it's about being open to that, and, and it's. I was actually listening to an interview with um with someone. What's his name? Um, Michael Smiley, this Irish, Northern Irish actor. But he was talking about, um, in this interview, he was talking about getting older and, and, and that, especially for men, but I'm sure it happens with, with women as well, um, where you kind of, you get to a certain age and you kind of give in to your sort of curmudgeonness and, and you stop being open to that. And it, um, I think that's something that, that we all kind of have to fight against, is that kind of, you know, like getting, getting to a certain point and as soon as you start thinking that you've got there's nothing anyone could show you, and then you become closed off. I think that's when um, it's just a, a massively horrible kind of uh, thing. I think like being being closed off and um, kind of goes back to pursuing happiness as well. Um, I don't think that you can be happy when, when once you get to that point. You just because as soon as you're closed off, this is what he was saying in this interview. Uh, as soon as you're closed off, you just start hating everything because you're yeah. like, oh, what are they? They're doing that wrong, and they're doing this, and. I don't understand this new thing that they're doing. So it's kind of um, being open to being open to that, and like Matt said, kind of being open to learning from wherever that's going to come from, 
Um, again, we say this, but I'm the one that's sitting there going, this, I hate new stuff, it's all shit. Well, we <laughs> do But then, but then it, that, that, and again, that's the kind of to do with the, the cycle of things. Like, I think you can, you, can, you can have a good day and be really open and really, um, you know, ready to kind of receive things. And then the next day you just wake up going, I fucking hate, I hate umbrellas and there was a fucking bicycle in my way. And this, you know, and I mean, it's something really you know, working on yourself, it's something I've tried, you know, I've spent years sort of like being that guy in the pub that's like, I fucking hate all the new music, blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying, it's about growing as a person, I'm trying to shed that somewhat because uh, it's not, it's a means to an end. Like, you're just gonna, you're gonna end up as one of those Iron Maiden guys, but it'll just be like about some other fucking band. But in 20 years' time, I don't want to be the 50 year old sitting at the bar with like nothing new to fucking bring to the yeah, table, yeah. do you know what I mean? Mm. That's fucking boring. Um, yeah, and I think, I mean, you really notice it, like friends of mine that have had, have had parents, um, I just realised it's not 20 years till I'm 50. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like friends of mine that have had parents, and particularly fathers, that, that were really encouraging and open and not like that, I think you can really notice it in them. And, and other people that maybe have had, um, you know, one or both parents that are a little bit more kind of set in their ways in, in the way that we're talking about, um, it, that kind of rubs off, you know, and it's, it's um, I, th I think it's just, a, it's a trap that a lot of people get, get sucked into, and, and I think, um, I think even the most kind of open people, you, you have, you have moments where you, where you get like that, where you're kind of like, oh, this, I don't understand this, and, and it's different from what I'm used to, and therefore it's bullshit, and then you're not, I don't know. I feel. I feel like as soon as you stop being open to learning anything and, and kind of growing as a person, that's kind of like the first sort of death that you experience. Then, because you're not, then you're essentially just what you're doing until until the end of your life. But from that point, you're just kind of treading water. You know. You've uh, never uh, experienced that way. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Absolutely. I think it's important to uh, to really keep yourself open to things. You know. This this is ridiculous, like considering how many conversations me and Matt have had. We're like, no, that's all just like bollocks, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you can like, you can genuinely like for me. We talk about modern music a lot. There's a sound that modern singers do that fucking rubs me up the wrong way. Which I still is it like a whoopee thing. It's like he's tried to explain it to me, and I still I still don't understand what he means. Yeah, I kind of describe it as like a disabled Eskimo. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's, yeah, it is. They do this they weird. Do, they, do, they like try to expand. They make their voice try and be like richer. Yeah. They do it by like honking. Yeah, they go like, mm. name names. Really I can't even. <laughs> name names. Really, name names. 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 Name it's almost like they try. I'm to quite annoyed it. that you've understood this. But <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like you know that share thing, which is the vocoder thing. It's almost oh, like they try to do that without uh, even using a machine. Yeah, they try to do it with their voice, and I'm like, it's just weird. Like an intentional voice crack. Sort yeah, of thing. it's just. <laughs> but then, I think it's, it's important. This is like everyone in the room's like, no, I totally get what you mean. You just want to understand. It's good because you don't do it. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't think that would be in bound with that by how we talked about that. <laughs> but I mean, it's, like, it's important to have a thing where, like, yeah, just, you know, not disliking things just because they're modern, but also you are allowed to have an opinion about it yeah. and, and say, like, if this doesn't really do it for me, you know. Like, if but someone's, like, genuinely likes a certain sound and that sound is something that tended to come out of, like, the 60s, for example, then fair play. But it's, it's the difference, isn't it, between, like, the, the easier thing to default to when you feel like that is, like, that's a load of bollocks. Yeah. But like, the harder thing, but, but the, the better thing to do is just to be able to go, 
that that's cool that all those people like it and it's not for me, but it's but that's kind of what translation when it's saying like it's low bollocks, that's what that means. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but, I mean the, the thing going back to the card, like the thing with like wisdom, it's kind of it's kind of an odd one because, you know, I think the era that we grew up in the sort of you know, the nineties and stuff, it was uh you were constantly, you know, almost trained to recondition yourself to question authority. You know, it's that, that fucking quote in it think for yourself question authority it's like so the idea of wisdom in inverted commas has always been a really hard one for us if you think about religion politics <coughs> all of these people are basically completely vilified in our generation we're like you know fucking you know you're, you're leaders of the fucking dogmatic religions you're fucking corrupt politicians even we're, scientists we yeah them we're almost we're almost trained to like think that these people are ridiculous so the idea of getting wisdom is quite hard because you're like but who are these wise people? In well, I've, I've never really associated wisdom with, with any of those kind of... No, that's, what, that's what I'm saying. I think that, you know, whereas traditional wisdom would be from your elders, I think that we, we tend to take wisdom from our peers and from our collective growing rather than from this sort mm. of uh, notion of people that came before us. You know? But I think if you're, if you're open to it, you can find, you know, what, words of wisdom from, from all kinds of people, yeah. you know, from, from a parent or a sibling, you know, or a relative to... Yeah, someone extremely unlikely that, that, you, that yeah. you wouldn't have expected. It's not exclusive, it's just that, you know, most old people are wankers. And <laughs> well, it's all young people are cunts. <laughs> Basically, everyone who's in the middle track. <laughs> My view of wisdom is that it's like intelligence with direction. Because yeah, like, if you watch exactly. a movie, usually the bad guy is like some sly, intelligent guy. Mm. And then like the wise, like old sage is like someone who's like done all of that, has all the knowledge, but then he knows like where to point it. Yes. And I think that's where we go wrong. <clears throat> Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, having like raw energy and um, sort of running around like a headless chicken is something that a lot of people do, but yeah, having some sort of like um, directional aspect for your for your output and things like that, without being too premeditated, like you're saying, I, I really don't like premeditation, I like organic growth, but yeah, having like a sort of defined way of channeling things is a really good I think as well the um, like if I think about what anyone in my life that I've considered kind of wise or, or that's a kind of I feel like has imparted wisdom on me, most of those people are not weren't were not like forceful or full of themselves. Like my like my mum, I, I learned a lot from, but she was always very like you know oh I don't really know the answer to to all these things. Um, and in people in my life now that I kind of take that from that kind of thing from, then they are normally people that are kind of holding their hands up and going I don't. I don't really have the answers, but here's my take on this. And I'm a lot more tr like trusting the people who show fragility, and I think mm. that's all wrapped in with this sort of breakdown of the, the you know masculinity as well. Like we talked about this quite a lot, like, the idea of like you know a man being like this sort of like shelled thing is so fucking ridiculous, man. I mean, like you know we're the most fragile little fucking pathetic creatures on the planet, like you know. Um, so, yeah, like, I've got no respect for anyone who tries to be this, like, hardened exterior and won't talk about their feelings or things of a more delicate nature. Mm. It's just, that's the most ridiculous thing, you know. I find it ironic because I feel like those people do it to be more attractive to women. Yeah. But then women aren't attracted, like, long-term. No. Well, me or Anna, as I know, I can't speak for all women. Um, but yeah, it's like it's not sexy when someone's just a dick. Or even yeah. take it away from like a sexy <coughs> thing, just like, you know, the idea of wanting to hang out with people as well. Yeah. Like, just, just to be around humans that. of, 
you know, that you can actually have an in-depth conversation with rather than, um, you know, just sitting in the pub going, yeah, yeah, I agree, you know, I made none of those people. It's like, fuck off, you're bored, you're fucking getting back. It's like a running theme. I say what I did, it's like, it's like, it'll be the best. You know what really grinds my gears? Well, let me tell you. This is card number seven. Okay. That, uh, that troop of beer sponsorship is gonna. It's not gonna come quick. <laughs> I, I have some stories I can tell off camera about that sponsorship. Um, union. Okay. This is an interesting card. It's not the color. It's a nice color. Green's the best. It's very Osric Tentacles. Yeah, it does look like an Osric cover, actually. Yeah. <laughs> so, a cup stands at the confluence of two streams. This card stands for a coming together, a wedding, or an alliance. The cup is a symbol of celebration and relationships. Is a strong card with a promise of joy and the prospect of a great river deriving from the union. It can also stand for the merging of two up to now separate parts of the personality. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I um, I mean, it kind of the first thing I thought of then was just going back to our, the the album that we're writing because it's yeah that that kind of theme of um, the pretense of kind of union and, and togetherness where where actually it's. Uh, it's not kind of happening. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've definitely been thinking a lot about that this year, and just and just about the way that people interact and and the different um, different kind of alliances in your life. So you know, playing in bands with with people and kind of there's there's a togetherness that you get in 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 some moments, and then and then other moments you can feel so kind of completely isolated and at, and at odds with each other. Um, but yeah, that's that's always just it's an interesting dynamic that, that the way that kind of plays out. Uh, I, I, I really like the energies. You know, when you get two things that come together, the energies that can be created from that. Um, my instant thought when I saw that about the two rivers coming together was like the literal notion of like London and how the fleet and the tributaries come together and yeah, the ley lines that are created at those type of places. You know, like right through the middle of Camden is where there's the two of the tributaries join right by the underworld, which is why it fucking floods all the time, there's always rats in the basement. But, um, you know, like that, when two things like that, two separate energies come together, the new energy that's created um, can be a really forceful thing, you know, like... And, and, it's, and it's always something that wouldn't exist, yeah. kind of, 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 its, of its own, so it's kind of... Yeah. It's an alchemy. Mm, I mean, this is one of my problems with the whole fucking lone wolf shit, and why I think a lot of the bullshit that, you know, certain bands of Scandinavia talk about is such a ridiculous thing that a lone wolf is you're only you know you're only as powerful as yourself then which for most people is basically nothing because people for that it's quite, it's quite an interesting term lone wolf when you think like wolf is one of the most yeah a lone wolf is basically a, a wolf that's pack has died and it's lost or it's gone off in a strop you're basically yeah yeah exactly or they're always like oh you're a massive dick yeah yeah yeah, but yeah, I mean, like, again, without sounding too hippie about it, like, the, the sort of energy and creativity and beauty, for want of a better word, that can come together when, you know, people and ideas and all sorts of things come together like that, mm. I think it's pretty important. That's why there's so many artists that, you know, like, duos out there that just, it's like the merging of two minds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was actually reading this book about the KLF uh, not so long back. And it was talking about the like the Alan Moore ideas of this. I think they call it the psycho space, 
So this idea that like all ideas basically exist in this sort of plane. Oh, the platonic realm. Yeah, and then they basically it's the energy of everyone that puts these things up there, and then they'll they ideas float towards people. Yeah. Who are like ready to receive them. It's an ancient and, Greek idea. Yeah, and then yeah. those people can then take them off into the world and merge them with other people. So it's yeah. like it sort of comes from that realm and then comes back into this uh, realm, which then feeds back up into that it's realm. Like, this yeah, constant yeah. cycle. Man. I was talking to a friend as well about um Christ, that that. <laughs> 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 but, it, but it is actually in a, in a really practical sense. I mean it's what happens with most bands and unless you've got a band that's kind of dictated by one writer and, and everyone else is just following their lead but certainly all the bands that I've been in and, and, and the, uh, Gravelines we um you know like Matt said before it, does, it, it doesn't sound anything like what we intended but that's that's always the case when you're writing with, with a group of people um and there's something amazing about that because it's because it's not it's 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 not something that any of you could have could have done on your own um but then I've, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who, who plays in a band but also d does kind of solo music and um, just talking about that, the, the difference there, where you can kind of, when you're making, when you're creating something on your own, there's a kind of real um, uh, purpose that, that, you, that you can achieve that you wouldn't really be able to when you're kind of navigating with, with, with a bunch of people. So that's, there's a kind of purity of purpose when, when you're doing something on your own. So that's amazing, um, but it's completely, it's a completely different thing. And, and what you get from, Making music with other people is kind of, it's it's got its own way of being rewarding and um, and it's quite powerful, you know. I it's like you, you and especially, um, especially with doing doing vocals. Actually, that I've always found because you usually in a band situation, I, I I'll, I'll watch the the music being written, um, and then be kind of forming ideas. But but it's so that it ends up informing what you do mm. with your vocals. So so then you kind of. You're actually kind of stylistically influenced by by your peers in that situation, where you you you're doing things that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Um, yeah, even like when we're at the stage where the music doesn't have the vocals on it, Jake's always going to be in the room, just sort of soaking it up for want of a better word, like kind of like you know the vibe. That's the thing. I don't really like that word, but it's a, for want of a better word to describe that thing. You know, like of just soaking up the vibe and being part of the process. You know, like when we started Gravelines, it was really about those four, the way it ended up being, was about those four people just being together. It was the energy that was created with us four in the room with Ollie and uh, Julia, our drummer at the time. And it was like, it was really about that energy. And that first album, we wrote it in like fucking, you know, two or three rehearsals. It was just done. Because it was just this explosion of catharsis that came from all four of us being in a room together. Um, so in that respect, you know, like that, that wouldn't have happened if it was like, one of us going away and writing the record, it just wouldn't have been the same thing. Yeah, all of, all of us are there on that. That's but, I, but I kind of love that idea. If you get a band of you know three or four people, say, and you and, and they start with the, the same intention, like the same idea, or brief or whatever, um, and then if all four of those people went away and wrote what they would inter what they are interpreting from that themselves, those four things would all be completely different. And then if they then then wrote that together, it would be different again. So it's kind of um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I'm quite like now that we've kind of uh, Julia's moved on, um, we've got a new drummer now, uh, and Sam. It's quite interesting that 
you know, there's going to be a shift in dynamic, not because one's a better player than the other or whatever. It's just different people, you know, the energy of a different person in the room. I think that's really a different vibe, you know. And that's that's even more so with drummers, I think, because you can have you can have two drummers that have almost the same kind of style of playing, and there'll always be a different energy that they bring to the music, and it can it, it's so any any band that I've ever done where where we've had to change drummers or find a new drummer it, it, it is just a massive shift on it it's yeah like, and it's what well, so you can embrace that you know so you can kind of it doesn't need to be about an element of loss of losing the old person or or it doesn't need to be about like trying to do something new with a new person it's just about there's a different energy of people also with different people to where we were five years ago yeah you know, what we bring to the table isn't what we did five years ago so it's about just embracing where you are at at the moment and at that time and embracing the present, which is something we can sort of touch on. It's kind of what albums are as well, aren't they? They're kind of, it's like a snapshot of yeah, a sort of exactly. moment in time. And, um, Any piece of art, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. Do you think you're like a heavy band or...? Yeah, so like me and, uh, me and my friend Miles, which we're doing the project at the moment, it's kind of like trad metal meets black metal, but just... Just a fun thing, you know. We're just uh, we've got a few songs about Lord of the Rings, and uh, he's yeah, cool. he's big into like Excalibur and you know oh, yeah. old, old, old English mythology. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's gone all right. Yeah, but you do like kind of scream, scream yeah, like harsh vocals, like it's, and that's one of the things I was saying to him was like, oh, you know, when we do go to record the second album, I'd like to just experiment a bit more with like my own actual voice because like mm. all the screaming I do is all false chords and. Yeah. Quite screaming, and it's not—it's—it's it's funny because in a way, it's not actually your voice. You know, you're no, just no. manipulating your vocal cords to produce a sound. Yeah, but you can sort of find your own voice within heavy yeah. things. Yeah, that's, that's the trick. What we were saying earlier—it's not that like every fucking band that screams is boring. It's that yeah. you have to find your voice within that. You know, mm. it's like even within like a ridiculously harsh sounding vocal, you can still find your personal like individual yeah. thing and that's that's the key is like not trying to emulate <clears throat> and it's true because like like we were saying before about like the first wave of death bands like everybody knows what chuck shelter sounds like exactly john tardy and you know barney from napalm you know like you just got distinct voices yeah, yeah. i love i love chuck's voice because he because you can he like it's it's, it's like he's he's really in in the middle of like it being almost comical but then yeah. but then still got this kind of spite and bile to it but you can also hear what he's saying and it's, it's yeah kind of, i don't know there's something just really enjoyable about his his delivery i don't know one of my favorite bands is newfbrush and like obviously russ and that used to do the vocals but now they've got dino in doing the vocal and you can just like it's so spiteful and horrible like you can <coughs> just tell it's him he's got such a personality within that voice yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like, um, that's what we're talking about Julie Christmas that's what I, I love yeah. her because all, all of her she has all these different voices but they're all very like her she's doing something kind of interesting with it with, like, with, with, with every kind of different sound that she does and she's an incredible vocalist yeah I think she's amazing yeah. Yeah. The I've heard her is the, the cult of lunatic mariner that's the only thing I've heard we, we were just great. talking about this this album Battle of Mice it was like a, a project they just did one album but that yeah. listen to that because her it's so intense like what she does vocally on it yeah what well, was that the sound that she was in that was it made out of babies? Yeah. Made out of babies yeah, was yeah. her kind of main That's thing. That's what I saw supporting Neurosis like years and years ago. They're, I think they're, I like, I like them, but that, that were kind of more straight up kind of punk, punky yeah. noise rock kind of thing. But yeah, Battle of, a Battle of Mice is just, it's such an intense album. And yeah. her, she, so, she goes through all these different voices. Sorry to chime in, but that record, like her and the guitarist, I think were in a relationship. Yeah. And it basically broke down while they're in the studio. Yeah. And you can just oh. tell, you can feel it through the album. It's amazing. I don't know if the album 
is about domestic violence, but there's a song that kind of goes on it, and then there's like a fucking um, sound clip of, of like a, a woman making a, a 999 or like 911 yeah, yeah, phone yeah. call, and like it's just fucking intense, like really, really intense. But yeah, amazing album, I think. I love those little interjections. It kind of makes me think of all the like Life of Agony stuff in the 90s when it was like, you know, like his fucking teacher ringing up telling me he was a piece of shit. <laughs> 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 so, do you know what the weirdest thing that they did was that at the beginning of that album where they just introduced, they're like, hello, I'm Peter, I'm John. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the type of negative. Type of negative, yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's funny. Um, yeah, yeah. But I just I found that so, it's not, it doesn't really belong on that album. It's a bit like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, but then in some ways it's like so goofy that it's so uniquely them. Yeah. 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 It does kind of fit in a weird way. Like, I love how they just enjoyed fucking with their listeners. Yeah. And that's something like, I can't, we kind of tried to do that at the beginning, but we wouldn't do it like that, like, I bet it would be like, how how do people react if we just had a blast beat in a song during yeah. like a TV yeah, show yeah, yeah. and shit like that? Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like getting that nice uh, in between thing where you're doing something like kind of out there but not quite down for Mr. Bungle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Sorry, I'm just gonna do one more piece. Go for it. I remember the first time I listened to um, Lindwald Milton and just thinking, this is like the most extreme voice I've ever heard. In my we, life. we supported her at Oslo last year, and it was. Uh, yeah, it was fucking pretty intense because backstage, like before the gig, she was almost like you couldn't even talk to her. She was like in a zone. Yeah. Um, and I was a bit like, you know, because I kind of thought that like, oh, she could be a bit off or whatever anyway. And then after the gig, fucking nicest person you've ever met. Like, it was amazing. Yeah. Which obviously just like so uh, in the zone for that. And I think that that's something I always, you know, it's what we touched on, you know, like something I always really admire in artists if you're like deeply into the music and it's really it's really coming from your soul like it's not just uh yeah there's an element of fucking performance and everything we do but yeah. at the same time if you're bearing your soul for all to witness and you're that into it you know yeah. same thing i was saying about new crush like when i was lucky i put on their first ever uk show and i've been i loved this man for fucking 20 years never thought i'd ever see him live let alone put on the gig let alone the first gig <laughs> in london and um dino backstage was like he was like fucking like stomping around and in the other world like kicking stuff and I walked in and I was like, you're right, man. And he goes, oh yeah, man. Like, you know, it's not you, man. It's just, it's just this fucking world, man. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I was like, oh, okay, well, I hope everything's all right. And I walked out with a massive grin on my face. Like, That's exactly what I wanted to do before I yeah. the yeah. what, what Was that him being really naggy? Yeah, but like, <laughs> it's not you, man. It's just this, Fucking world. <laughs> like, yeah. Sometimes, like a lot of people talk the talk and then you know don't necessarily walk the walk. You know. Yeah, you kind of tell it now when you go to a lot of gigs. I feel quite jaded when I go watch live music because I feel like once you've been doing it for you know a few decades, it's kind of like you feel like you've seen everything and you can just tell when the band's going through the motions. Oh so yeah, yeah. Just makes it that much better when you see a band that do truly mean. And yeah, still and they're still really enjoying it. It's so, yeah. it's but, so you can. You can see that straight away, can't you? I mean, we've, we've, uh, we've played with the Dead Existence, we've played with I Hate God, um, we've supported at the garage. And I've, I've still been, you know, we've put them on before that as well, so we've yeah. kind of like you know, hung out with them a fair bit. But, like, they really are, they are just what they are. It's yeah. not an act. That's yeah. like who they fucking are. Yeah. Like, when they're on stage or off, there's no difference. Like, yeah. it's that, Jimmy Bauer is that, is Jimmy Bauer, whether he's on stage or off the stage, you know? Um, and I, I, you know, I really admire that. I think, uh, I don't know, I just really have a, I don't like the kiss thing, man. 
I don't like the thing of just like this fucking dollar symbol explosion glitter cannon fucking bullshit like yeah like just be who you fucking are go up there and play a fucking song stop yeah. fucking pricking about I remember when Kiss when I went to the forum yeah. Kiss did a secret show there and they, they did the last song they played there was so much confetti going that it was literally you couldn't see them for the entire set it was, it was like a wall of confetti I was like oh what are you watching the only band yeah. that get away with it is Gwar like, oh, you know, yeah, it's just like a shtick, isn't it? Because yeah. it's so fucking funny. Because they're basically taking the piss out of kids. I, I saw yeah. them at the um, the LA2. Um, yeah, I was at that one. Like, but I never laughed so much at a gig. That was like, right in the front, yeah. getting sprayed with fake blood and penis <laughs> cannons. And it was fucking hilarious. I got kissed with Dave Brocky once. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. That's was, amazing. He was, um, I was like, my first ever time I was doing music journalism at a festival, I was like 17 years old. Wow. And he was, he was having a shot of Jaeger with every journalist, because I was like working for some butt-fucked publication. Yeah. I was like, last, so he was hammered. Yes. And he was like, he had been Oderus like the whole day, and then I got in, he was like, had a whole bottle of Jaeger. And we were just like drinking. He was like, you know what? I'm not going to be O'Darrell. I'm going to tell you about my entire life story that I've never told anyone. That's so cool. Ever. And no one ever read this interview because oh, no one. Nice. But he'd been like adopted as a kid. Oh. He was talking about you, like. I, I find I find it really interesting with him because I didn't really. I, I was when I was a kid. I was really into Guar, but I did, it wasn't until he died that I really actually. I think I even heard yeah, his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. And then and then I got quite fascinated about who he was because all these other bands that had toured with him were saying like he was a real he, he was a real he's legend. Like, he's like the people that like walk the walk. I he mean Dave Brocky was like I don't think to this day that people understand that when we lost Dave Brocky, that was like the biggest thing that ever happened to Metal Man. All these people talk about these fucking, you know, this guy that died and this guy that died. Fucking bollocks, man. Dave yeah. Brocky dying was the only thing that ever matters in metal. I mean, seriously, not trying to like devalue other people's lives, but fuck them. Get a couple of swigs of rosé. Let me tell you about Dave Brocky. Have you ever had the Dave Brocky experience as well? His bandy did. Like, it was fucking like weird, like John Zorni experimental type shit, and it's fucking great. I honestly just, yeah, I think I got so enamoured with Guar as a thing that I didn't really think about him. But he's like so. You know, any interview that he does with all the master and stuff, like, he's just fucking hilarious. Like, yeah. he's so witty. So funny, man. That, yeah. um, did you see that thing they did for, like, it was like for a TV show, a radio show, where they did a cover of um, Kansas, a Kansas song. Oh, the Carry On My Way was... Yeah, and he's, yeah, he's yeah. like, oh, we're going to cover this fucking terrible song from an <laughs> era of bands where every band was named after a fucking place for some shit. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's just absolute contempt for the song. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, my favourite interview of his is when Nardwar interviewed him. Nardwar was amazing. And it was just like a clash of bizarre Canadian minds. Was... <laughs> who who is that? Have you not heard of Nardwar the Human Serviette? No. He's, he's, a, he's a journalist. He's a music journalist. He's probably the greatest music journalist that walks this earth. Okay. Um, and he basically used to be a political journalist in Canada. And he'll he'll go and do so much research. He'll literally probably like call up the mums of the people he interviewed and be like, "You went to school at this place and in year six. You were you did we were this in the school play." And your friend said this thing, and it was about this song. Here's a vinyl of that song. Wow. That's what Nardwa does, and wow. he like freaks people out of how much yeah, that would be quite fucking freaky. Yeah, that's intense. It's funny because like it's strange because Americans receive him quite well and they're quite open to it. Every time I've ever seen him with a British person, like, he fucking stopped me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Like, you're, 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 like, you're, you're like that far away from us, kicking. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Rollins. I swear to God, Henry Rollins is about to like. Oh yeah, I bet. Yeah. yeah. I, I I listened to a Mark Maron interviewing Henry Rollins like recently, and, and he was he definitely asked a few things about like his his dad and his his his, his real surname, and he he was like he was he wasn't being aggressive. Like it was a really good interview, but he was he was definitely like. I'll tell you about certain things, but I'm not like. Yeah, he's got yeah. boundaries. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I like Rollins a lot. He like runs on anger, which is something I can relate to. Yeah, I I, I find him as well. Like I know, he's I know that travel is amazing. Yeah. Yeah, we went to North Korea. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I went to see him do a live thing a few years ago. Like, like the last time he was in the UK, but mm-hmm. it was like three hours of him talking, and it felt like twenty minutes. It was just it was so interesting. Yeah, the thing at one of the sunspheres, it was like eleven in the morning, and oh, like no it was like everyone's wake up thing. Everyone's there with the coffee. That, you know, obviously hungover, still high, whatever. But within like ten minutes, he had the whole crowd just like roaring with laughter or captivated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, I think he's great. I, I know a lot of people, people that don't like him always talk about these kind of really early black flagging interviews where he's kind of being aggressive to the to some kid interviewing him or something. But I feel like he's someone that's aged really well and like yeah. he's very just very insightful now and like and like as he, his kind of edges have softened. I feel like he's, he's a sage, that guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I, I see him like that. Him and, him and Stephen Fry, for I some reason, just both of those people, I just always go, I, I, really, I just like listening to them talk. Mm-hmm. I saw my last, a couple of birthdays ago, I went to see Stephen Fry live talk about his uh, book on mythology. Amazing. So it was just like two or three hours of him just sitting in a chair, just talking about mythology. It was amazing. The team who also been in the category is Will Self. As well. Yeah. Oh, I have mixed feelings yeah. about all stuff. I like him, but I feel like he can be a little bit. I, I just love his fucking antidotes about like taking a smack on the prime minister's yeah. plane and shit. Yeah. Like, I went to this thing quite a few years ago. It was the only time I ever saw Throbbing Gristle, which was just like the best thing I've ever seen in my life. But it was part of this whole weekend of like talks, and it was like I think Alan Moore did one, and he did one. And I really. He's like another that. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I really yeah. like the idea that someone like Will Self is <coughs> essentially kind of got quite a commercial career. Mm. And still be completely enveloped in like a lot of esoteric and underground stuff. Um, mm. Like him, another person that does it is Mark Armand. Yeah. As well, like you know, obviously, soft sell selling out the fucking O2 Arena, like yeah. proper like primetime TV shit. But then also completely involved with like you know current '93 and totally underground esoteric shit. Like, um, so it just proves that like, actually success doesn't have to make you into a total prick. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can actually still be really fucking righteous and legitimate and still have a successful career, you know. Yeah. It's interesting how people in like the forefront of media can still kinda of be kind of rock and roll and Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like Hunter S. Thompson's my uh, my childhood version of that. Yeah, although because I kind of read all that shit about, you know, from the Hells Angels point of view, where they were just yeah. like, This guy's a fucking turd and like the, oh. what they the guy they loved was Jack Nicholson. They were yeah, like, Jack, Jack Nicholson is righteous. Like this guy is like a fucking badass. That Hunter S. Thompson is just a whiny little piss ant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you want to go to the next card? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let me count. That's the next one. Number eight. Mother. Mm, mother. This is when we start to get. <laughs> I'm a little bit worried. Though. I just went. Mmm. 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 I'm sure there's someone who has a kink based on that. Um, So this is one of the seven archetypes which depict those underlying forces within us which go towards our psychological makeup that are common to men and women alike. A mother is shown, shown, seated, shown seated in a large wicker chair with her children close to her, the baby tied to her back. It stands for the feminine mothering side in our nature, the part of us that is sustaining and protective, 
yet at times threatens to smother our individuality. Mm. Well, I mean, I think it says a lot that she strapped the baby on her back. I just didn't want to look at the cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I um, also she's mad into Wicca, which is like she's obviously from the seventies. <laughs> this is quite interesting. Me and Matt had a conversation the other day. We we, we like late, late at night and um, just getting into just upbringings and family and relationships with like parents and stuff like that. But um, yeah, because I because I was kind of definitely. I've got a very close relationship with my with my mother, and predominantly was raised by her. Um, so I've always had a, um, and a, and a, a, like definitely a very kind of healthy relationship. We we've we've always been able to talk quite frankly to each other and stuff. Um, but that was something actually that came up um, again when when I was having that when I was studying psychotherapy and I had, I had some therapy sessions and we were talking about that and that it was only at that point. Um, I sort of realised that I was kind of holding her up uh, a bit too much on a pedestal and kind of, um, my therapist kind of said, it's interesting, you don't really let her like, own her own mistakes and, and kind of, um, so that, I've, yeah, I've, I've always found that quite interesting because I've, I've, I've always had a, a very, very positive thoughts of my mum. But then to, then, to then kind of dig into that and go, oh, actually, maybe that's not, you know, maybe you're not looking at seeing her as a whole person. You're kind of like, if you deify anyone, they, they become, um, yeah, not not like a fully rounded human, you know. Um, like you're almost stripping them of some of their own, like, identity. Yeah, exactly. Like, form of objectification. Yeah, and exactly, yeah. and the, actually, the weird thing my therapist said was that you almost, you're, the way that you talk about your mum and, and not letting her own her, her own mistakes, you're treating her like a child. Mm. Um, and that I found really... Um, I mean, I like digging into stuff like that, so I found it interesting. But it was—it was a troubling thing to kind of think about. So I'm like, actually, I don't—I don't want to be. Um, yeah, I don't—I don't want to—I don't want to think about someone that I respect, in, you know, in that way. Um, but I think if you look at, you know, like Sophie Card, like mother, and you think about it, like in terms of nurturing and stuff like that, you know, I suppose we're all mothers of our own creations, right? Like, so if you took it to a music sense, like the idea that you know that our creations are like a little babies that we sort of like you know nurturing and also smothering and also like you're you being know, pregnant with an album is yeah. like some heavy shit as well. exactly yeah. yeah and like you know trying to birth an album it sounds i'm not meaning to like devalue you know the woman's <laughs> experience of making childbirth, yeah. you know giving birth it, making an album as soon as it's been it's so painful <laughs> You know, it is kind. Of, you know, in terms of a nurturing sense, it really is a thing. You know, you you create it and then you you pour over it every little detail yeah. about it, and then you you end up you got to let it go. At some yeah, point you end you. up smothering it, and then there's a point where you let it into the world, and you have to step back and accept that it's not yours anymore. It's going to fall on it its face. It doesn't or belong it's to you anymore. Thing. It belongs yeah. to the world and to the people yeah. that want to enjoy it, like mm. or so, no one <laughs> if it's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> It's an interesting thing as well with you know talking about like a lot of conversations that ha that are happening at the moment about kind of sexism and patriarchy and, and all of that kind of thing. But the fact that 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 it's such a pervasive problem, but like everybody has a mother, and it's kind of a um, yeah I don't know. I think there's just certain things about about women that, that aren't kind of recognised and, and that and that role like the role of kind of motherhood and and things like that. It's kind of um, it's not. It's not embraced uh, in, in, with certain people in the way that it should be, I guess.
I think one of the, the reasons that is given by some people as to that is that the mother isn't a mercantile role, like you're not, you, you, the, the value to greater society isn't recognised because there's no immediate monetary mm. bonus to it, mm. apart from the fact that you're, you know, raising well-adjusted people who aren't going to go and murder each other. It, yeah, it, it, it's hilarious that, that that's a thing when it's, when it's actually the most important, important thing, but like yes. people being nurtured and certainly through, through adolescence and it, it's, it's so important. And also, like, I think people are really scared to say that someone's been a shit mother. Like, you know, like, mm. it's kind of like this thing because it's such a, like, you know, life giving up thing. You know, to be a mother is such a, you know, putting someone else first for fucking 18 years of their life. It's such a thing that you're giving up within yourself that everyone's too scared to say, well, actually, you weren't very fucking good at it. Like, yeah. You know, so it's. Yeah, I guess it's a weird thing because it's because you do. Like even a bad mother is, is still given still value to a, to a certain amount. So in a way, more than a bad father, because the mother's still got to do the physical act. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, but at the family. very least, that's that's like if nothing else, that's still quite a big mm. ask. For and someone. it's not as pleasurable as for the man. It's like a lovely, wonderful thing for the man on a biological level to yeah, yeah, make yeah. a baby. But for a woman, she's got all the other stuff. With yeah. 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 There's there's all all of these. I mean, we were kind of, sort of touched on earlier, like off camera, like talking about sort of you know. Child having ch children and things, and it's like um, you know I do think that there's a there's a difference between wanting to have a child and feeling like you can create a platform mm. that that can produce a human being that can make a difference to the world. So like I I think there's a real when you talk about motherhood and that there's a real difference between you know your sort of idea of a council estate shitting out your seventh kid type shit than actually like people who genuinely actually make a positive contribution to the world. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, it's really hard. I don't want to judge anyone that's, you know, in a certain situation or whatever, but I think that, you know, people definitely need to consider, you know, what, what are we doing here? We're on this fucking planet, what the fuck are we doing? I suppose whatever. Do we really need seven little shits running around? Yeah. Maybe we need to just think about what we're fucking doing a little bit. I think that motherhood is very, very um, important and I'm taking this card really literally here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very beautiful thing, but at the same time, you know, it has to be something that I think the world needs. Otherwise, you really need to consider what the fuck you're doing. But it's, I think, I think, regardless of the kind of background and your and your position, you know, your social status and um, whatever, you know, class that, that you're in or anything, it's it's about. I think more than ever, people think think about this, but it's about the kind of environment that you would be bringing a child into. Yeah, um, I mean, likewise, also, I don't want, you know, I said, like, if someone were welfare shitting out the seventh kid, also, if someone's so fucking tough, fucking Tory, shitting out the seventh kid as well. Yeah, no offence to any Tories out there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, I, it's, it's an interesting thing as well, where, you know, like, I think more and more people um, are just are are kind of recognizing that they don't want children, or, or or actually voicing that. You know, I'm sure people have always, some people have always thought that, but um, it's more of a conversation now. I think of, mm. of whether to do that or not. And then, if and you actually, like we were saying earlier about the traditional family roles, you know, really the idea of, I guess, legitimizing women more, <coughs> really breaking down the the uh, you know the patriarchy that you know fucking it's not people's job to be a fucking mother. People can be whatever the fuck they want to be, you know, like, and, like, the, the worth of everyone goes so much beyond the idea of traditional mother, father, grandparent roles. You know? But then, 
Yeah, I was going to say as well that um, it's an interesting thing where if you, if you remove the idea that you'll have children, so there's, a, there's that kind of biological desire to, to some degree with most people. If you remove that, then it's kind of what do you have in place of that? And, and are, you, um, are you leaving like a hole there or, 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 or is, it a, is it a positive thing that you can, that you can replace with something else so you can, you can nurture other things, whether that's music Yeah, exactly. And it, but it's 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 interesting. It's interesting the idea that there would be a hole in the first place. You know, yeah. Like, but but because because it is a a biological instinct to some degree, um, maybe people will argue that I don't know. But um, I think I just it's an interesting thing to think about for me because I've 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 never wanted kids, but then um, I sometimes I think about okay later on in life when I, if I'm looking back, is that going to be something that I go okay well I wish I wish that I'd had someone to raise and kind of impart wisdom and, and all of that. Um, just thinking about filling holes with kids, I just think about Saturn eating babies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was going to sit down and say in concrete, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a weird thing, like, I always feel um, I've got like a, a bit of a guilt around that as well because I, I've always recognised that I don't want kids but then I um, donated sperm a while ago, so I know that I have biological children. Um, and I and I and I always cite that kind of you know overpopulation and things like that. But then, but then I've selfishly kind of um, it's almost like I could draw a line through that and, and say, well, I know I know that I've got biological children in the world. Mm-hmm. So there was a, that was a kind of it was a selfish act as much as helping helping another couple. Um, but I wouldn't have my own kids because I feel like that's you know, or, you know, there's already too many people in the world, you know. I mean, kind of going back on what I was saying earlier about like, yeah, the shit mother, I actually kind of, to counteract that, one thing that really winds me up is, you know, whenever you get some fucking psychopath out there and everyone starts trying to blame their mum, like, yeah. you know, oh, you know, he was, you know, he had mummy issues, it wasn't love properly, and I think in that respect, it's like the other end of the coin is like, um, other end of the coin, the side of the coin maybe, or end of the barrel. <laughs> um, you know, people put too much weight sometimes on the mother, I think that, Obviously, psychologically, we all end up very, you know, nature versus nurture, who knows? But, you know, nurture is a massive part of who we become. And I, I definitely know some massive dicks with, with great moms. Well, this is what I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't fucking... People are too fucking quick to blame, you know, where people's sort of problems on their, you know, the people above them. I think I don't think it's quite as fucking simple as that. I think... Once you're released into the world and you get all the buzz influences on you, maybe this is something that's different now in the modern age compared to before where you were kind of very close to your mother and possibly even father, you know, like, uh, I think the idea now that you can kind of blame a matriarchal figure for any problems you have in your own life is sort of becoming less and less relevant, like, uh, you know. I feel like if there was like some mass serial killer in 2020, I don't think like in the 70s we would be instantly looking to their mother for like what the fucking problem do you, was. Do you think like, that used to happen yeah. then? Yeah, yeah of course. course. Yeah, I mean, look at him and Kemper, man. I mean, he's the arguably the best serial killer of all time. The best. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's, he's just really articulate. That's you, you, mean, you mean the best like he did the most murdering? No, he's just really articulate. Uh, he's just like, yeah, I kill people, I did it in your society, what the fuck are you going to do about it? I'm just a mirror of how fucked up you are, you fucking freaks. <laughs> like, but, you know, his whole thing was like the mother issues was what drove him, and that's what everyone focused on, the media, but it's like, 
I just feel like in 2020, I feel like that's not quite as relevant anymore. You know, I think that a lot, it's a very hard job and I think a lot of people, you know, they pour their lives into it. But uh, I think that there's a bit more of an acceptance now that once a human gets to of age, they're kind of released into the world and that's, they make their own fucking yeah. like psycho fucking shit. I, like, I love that you've, that you've gone, the mother. Mm, think about serial killers. <laughs> 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 yeah, maybe I'm actually the one. <laughs> <laughs> He's trying to subtly say something. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably shout about that. <laughs> you, you probably find the Gabor Mata really interesting. He's like a psychologist that um, specializes in trauma and how it's handed down through families. Mm. And like, he's, his parents were, were Holocaust survivors, <clears throat> and like they they found that in. Um, you, is this the thing where it's you, you kind of inherit trauma? You do your, inherit yeah, trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I was hearing someone talk about this recently. Yeah. yeah, like so you'll find that the children of Holocaust survivors and even their children have inherited trauma yeah, and yeah. behave in certain ways. Do you know what? There's a really weird thing, right? This is this might be total bollocks. Yeah. <laughs> but my mum had a car accident when she was about twenty one, right? She yeah. got thrown through the windscreen. They didn't even know where she was. They kinda of collected everyone up from the car crash and we were about to drive off and someone was like, Oh where's where's she? And they were like, Oh what the fuck? And they went and found her in a ditch. But she oh she was alright and but she just had like this she severed like part of her hand, right? And not not like severed, that's sorry, I may sound way way worse. Severed some of the nerves. So mm. her little finger like doesn't quite work properly. And I swear to God, I'm completely like physically very lucky in the respect that all my body works, but my little finger clicks round like that. Oh. And I've always wondered, it's so weird that every yeah. single part of my body, except for the one thing yeah. that my mum mm. had as a trauma before she had me, Damn. Um, it might be total bollocks, it might be coincidence, yeah. but yeah, it's interesting the concept that trauma could physically be, be passed down as mm. well as mentally. I mean, if you think about the mind as a muscle, then surely, you know, everything that that's done physically can also happen yeah, mentally and vice versa, I think. You know. But you know what, even if it's bollocks in, in terms of like something physically happening, it, I, th I think it's still interesting to, when you recognise things like that. Yeah. Because yeah. it kind of has to do with where your mind's going and yeah, how, so how you feel about certain if things. If you think about the mind, like say like my mum had like a, so this happened, so she mentally has this like thing that her finger doesn't work. So that when she has me, that mental little tiny minuscule electrical impulse is going to be in her egg which comes out into me like it's like it's not actually when you say it it's not actually that crazy to think it yeah do you know what this yeah. this is a really evil scientist biological uh, thing but it'd be interesting to get get a pr get different pregnant women and like one of them just go like the your entire pregnancy just think about wonky eyes just to see stressed um, a stressed pregnancy will have like impact on the child yeah, for sure. yeah and like sure. stress changes the structure of dna which then yes. changes how things are expressed yeah, exactly yeah. and it's not just on a, a dna level but also like children babies specifically are very sensitive to their environment so yeah. if your mum's very aware of her fingers then yeah. you become aware of her fingers too and if you don't realize it so perhaps you have a heightened awareness of that part of your body yeah and then um, as you grow maybe subconsciously part of your brain tells your bone to not grow in a certain way and you know at the end of the day we're all biological piece, pieces of fucking shitty flesh so you know i'm pretty good flesh to be honest you was one for shit like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like we're all like you know we're, we're all just like physical chemical entities you know there's 
there's things going on in there that I think we all know we can't fucking describe and express, but then we all know that we only use fucking, what is it, 27% of our brain? Yeah. Who knows what the other fucking rest of it's capable of? So I think that things that I think, to sort of change direction slightly, things that I, th I feel like people mistake as religious, you know, happenings and UFO things and connections with people, I think it's just tapping into that part of the brain that we don't understand yet, man. Yeah. I'm, I'm a scientist at heart, you know, I, I did psychology, I didn't really pay attention, it happened, but it's like, I think that it, I can't help but have a very analytical idea of, of this, you know, I like the romanticism of thinking esoteric things, and I definitely think there's things that happen, energies, I'm a massive believer in energies, like, ley lines and residual energy. I mean, we're sitting here in Covent Garden. Residual energy, yeah. One of the reasons I have this, we have this conversation all the time, I have this obsession with old nightclubs and things, um, because I think that the energy that's left mm. by bands, and you know, like so much stuff happens in a venue or a nightclub that you can't, that can't help but rub off, you know? Um, so I think that, you know, if I see like the site of an old venue, it always makes me very interesting because I'm like, fuck, just think about what happened mm. in that room. And, you know, everyone sort of goes to work, they do their thing, and then when they come and really focus on the things that really matter in their life, it was in that room. And there's no way that energy will disperse. It's, it's there, you know? Mm. So like, been to like, literally just after it closed, I went to the old CBGBs and it's like, some fucking designer fucking um, suit shop but you can kind of, I don't know, you just tell, like, you're on the Bowery and it's fucking kind of grimy and then you go around the corner and it's, like, there and, I don't know, it's, like, the same thing walking all around, like, London, like, I'm a massive, as some, as a project, I'm actually kind of got in the works of, like, you know, um, doing a, a thing about, like, the old venues and stuff, like, the old Batcave on Dean Street and stuff like that and um, where movements and things started, like, that energy doesn't just, go away. I mean, we know this. Energy can't disappear. It transfers. It doesn't disappear. You can't, you know... It can't be created or destroyed. Yeah, atoms, positive and negative. They did it on the thing in Switzerland. They fired an atom down, turned one to positive, the other one went negative. Like, energy doesn't disappear. We know that's a fact. So, I, and I believe that energy and people and what we create doesn't disappear as well. So. Have you read um, like Will Self's work on psychogeography? Yes, uh, like yeah. uh, the one about going around the edges of fucking London as well. Like it's yeah. fucking yeah. I mean, psychogeography is a massive thing. Actually, a friend of mine lent me a book, and it's one of those things. It's on a book like two years ago, and you're like, he's like, you need because you like psychogeography, you need to read this. Uh, it's called like I think it's called Hawksmoor or something. I love Hawksmoor. Right. He's really cool. I've not read it, but it's like he was like, you have to read this, and it's like uh, a bit on my pile. And it's getting closer and closer it's about to the top. churches, so, right? And I mean, okay. well, possibly. Don't surprise. Yeah. Oh, Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> the butler did it, right? <laughs> yeah. Shit. The architect. <laughs> In the I agree. I think that's where the bulk of supernatural experiences come from. You know, I think it's like you said. I think people romanticize the, the concept of ghosts in the in, tra in the traditional Hollywood sense. When actually, I've always believed it's more picking up on the residual energy that's been left behind. Yeah, yeah. I, I also and think it's within us as well. You know. Yeah. You see, your own mind that's thinking these things. This is you know? this is what I was going to say. Is I don't. Uh, we were talking earlier about kind of believe, like believing in different things, or, or you know, believing in uh, spiritual. Kind of things or, or not, um, but I've always felt like I don't. It, it doesn't really. It, it's not as important to me to have a, a kind of defined 
answer on those things because what Matt was talking about with kind of energy in, in a place, whether that is something tangible that's there that you're kind of absorbing and taking in, or whether it's to do with our perception of the place and, and what's going on in our head and that we're creating that from within, it, it has the same effect and it's yeah. the same it's the same thing really. It's just it's like it doesn't really matter if it's real or not. If you think it, then it is real. Okay? Exactly. It, it, it's a, it's a it's a tangible thing either way. In a, it, you know, in some respects, because it's kind of it's yeah, the the same effect is there wherever it's actually coming from, and that the same thing is true either either way. Um, so I mean, you can you could say that things you know places collect energy, whether whether that you know the the truth behind that is that we are um creating that from from what we know about the place and and, and just how we feel when we're in there but it's still it still has a presence and a, and a kind of power to it it's like we were saying uh, the, the general concept of perception you know you go into a room and you can take a mate to something and you're like look at this because it makes you feel this like really intense like vibe and feeling and they're like oh no it's just a fucking building aren't they <laughs> and you're like no but it's like isn't it so like this and they're like oh, i guess you know um and it's like yeah it's the same thing it's like it, d d does anything really exist you know <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. your only experience is the only point of contact yeah. you're the only reason that you're in this room is because i'm imagining that you are yeah. Like, yeah it's not you're not really there i know that like i'm pretty aware of that i'm pretty aware that you don't exist I mean, well, the way that our brains assemble vision is like very abstract. Yeah. Wasn't isn't there something? I, I don't know if this is like real GCSE science, but don't, <laughs> don't our eyes see, see upside, upside down, down. Yeah. and then our brain correct? That fucks me up every time. Yeah. Yeah. What they do do is they they flip in your brain. So your what your left eye sees is processed in the right hand side. But of it's your also brain. it's also upside down. Yeah. The, like the vision. So so does that does that the thing that I. Like, but then when I touch it, it's not upside down, is it? This is what I mean. Like, and that's it, what all the rest it, of your brain is doing. Yeah. It's not turning you into a potato because you're like blowing your mind. Yeah, but because yeah. like, I'm just like, having the world is the other way around. And I'm no. Like, no, no, you're seeing no. the world the other way around and then undoing the other you're way like, around. Yeah, yeah, you're like, yeah, so you're turning, you're turning it around again. But like, I know, but what, like, <laughs> that's a design flaw, surely. That was a make, why don't you make the eyes just see the right that's way around? That's the beauty of is that it's really fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> because your eye works just like a lens. Like yeah, a lens. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah, I mean, I think I'm being incredibly the story right right now. Works, so I think it's yeah. in biology. Yeah, it's the way that yeah. yeah. it's a great um, It still blows my mind. Yeah, 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 it just does. I think it was the Hayward Gallery, but there's this really good exhibition where somebody designed these kind of these, like VR goggles, but they flipped your vision back around. No, so I, was there, I was there. And it was the trickiest yeah, thing. And you lose your, your equilibrium, it's just gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so many people were just sitting on the floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, also, like, because your left eye is your right hand side of your brain, your right eye is the left hand side of your brain, and they're, one of them's the artistic side, one of them's the analytical side. I forget which is which. So like you can actually like if you walk around all day with your hand over one eye, you you would actually end up being technic technically you would end up being like more analytical, more artistic. I, I didn't. I, I, when I was in primary school, I scraped my cornea with the corner of a towel because I had an itchy eye, and I had to wear an eye patch for three days. And I didn't feel more analytical or more creative. I just didn't know what the fuck was going on. Well, I was so anyone with one eye respect because that is fucking. I had the same thing. I have a squint in my left so eye. It's so disorientating. I had to wear a patch over my good eye to exercise my bad one. 
So I was like, right, so I've got one good eye, and now you're covering that Didn't eye. Didn't it make you... What the fuck are you doing to me? Not only do you lose that, that kind of side of your vision, but... It, like, I Death felt, perception. But yeah. also just, like, it, it was really disorientating. Like, uh, I felt like I was looking through, a, a, like, a net or something. Like, it, it really... You don't realise that you, both your eyes are, are doing, like... Uh, yeah, I don't Specifically, know. you're like, you know, so for me, I'm, you know, right-handed. My right eye is very strong, and also, I guess, then analytical side of my brain might be the left so like um that's like the side i'm strongest on so my right eye is fine if i like have both my eyes open i see this if i shut my left eye it's pretty much the same my right yeah. eye is definitely dominant if i shut my right eye my left eye the weak one it's like everything goes fucking skew if i can't even fucking see you kind of stuff. Ah. yeah like it's really weird like um and i think that yeah i think that's definitely a thing you know dominant parts of your body and your brain definitely take over. I mean, your corpus callosum is the bit that sort of spreads the information between the two sides of your brain. And when you talk about people split brain, like you know, it's Nielsen thing, we actually did a dead existence EP with that band Boat Fight. I don't know if you remember them. We did a split and it was called like a uh, split EP and it had a picture of like a uh, I actually, it wasn't Dennis Nielsen, it was someone else. It was someone else, but yeah. we, we read about Dennis Nielsen. Yeah. <laughs> the idea of being what it was like sort of the split brain thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's when you end up with people with psych, you know, psycho, um, psycho murderous problems, I guess. It's, Schizophrenia you know, and stuff. Yeah. Problems yeah, like processing communication. So it's the corpus callosum breaks or is isn't there through yeah. development or for whatever reason, and then you can't share the information from one side of the brain to the other, and that's where the safe split oh, brain okay. is that you know information is going to the two different sides, but it's not being shared by the two different sides of your brain. So. You end up with this really schizophrenic two two sides of your personality because it depends which side is being dominant dominant mm. at any particular time. Mm. I'm reading about like prefrontal cortex development about how that affects like your social ability yeah. to like mm. communicate and understand and like how it impacts like trauma basically fucks with the development yeah. of your prefrontal physical trauma affects and it. emotional trauma. There's a thing on uh, I was watching recently about fucking American football players where they fucking oh my God. constantly get smashed on the same place and it like totally fucks them. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah well, I think the same with uh, like MMA, wrestling, yeah, boxing. That's what, that's what they say happened to Chris Benoit, the wrestler that killed his family and there's yeah, yeah. So that was just repeated concussions. And he but just... that was this thing, this, this fucking American footballer like killed some like or like if he killed his girlfriend or something, I can't remember what it was, but yeah, same thing. They basically they're sort of saying that like, he's not he's not guilty. He's like a victim of constant blows to the head. <laughs> which is like this thing that you know, I mean but yeah, again coming back to this thing that like the brain and everything that we are is such a physical thing, which if you then put it in the context of the world and the universe, it's like it's just particles flowing, you know, and I don't understand how anyone could really come to the conclusion that we're not just like at one with the earth. Like, again, sounds like a fucking hippie, but like, <laughs> you know, all you are is a lump of flesh, man. Like, you're just part of this fucking earth. Like, you're not fucking special. Like, get over yourself. How do you feel that consciousness um, works its way into that structure? Because it's still something that no one can really like scientifically yeah, I mean, pin down. I think that again, we were talking about like parts of your brain that you don't quite understand and things, and. Um, I think obviously there's a lot of concepts around the soul and mm. you know things like this. Um, I think there's a lot we don't understand, but I think as I, as we've already sort of mentioned, like we're all agnostic by default. You know, we don't know, we don't know, we don't understand. That's okay. Like, you, do you know what? You can live your life. You don't need to know the fucking answers. 
Yeah. Like, if we knew the truth, it would be like so yeah. much. Like, the everyone, magic would be taken out. Anyone who tells you that they know the truth, just instantly go, all right, mate, and walk yeah. away. Yeah. They're just like, full of shit. Why like, is the truth yeah. even important? Like, yeah, you don't, do you, a, you don't need, a, you don't know. That's one thing, you, you don't know. Yeah, and B, you don't fucking need to know. Well, this, this is the thing that I always know. think about, about uh, you know, think about religion or, or, or even just people trying to decide what they think happens after you die in a, in a kind of lucid way. But it doesn't, um, it is an answer to a question that, that can't be answered. So mm. it's, it's kind of pointless to even, like the only logical thing is, is just to accept every possibility and then kind of get on with it, you know. Yeah, I, mean, I kind of, of hope day, for one or two, but like... Yeah, I mean, I, 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 really, no I really hope there's nothing. Like, I, I really hope there's nothing. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And I, I, I have that. Like, my mum is, is very kind of frank about believing that, not, you know, after you die, there is nothing. So, yeah. And I, I found that very... I did not like hearing that from my mum. <laughs> um, but I... Yeah, I, I've, I've got to a point now where I kind of accept every possibility. I accept that as a possibility as well, but quietly hopeful that that's not the case. Yeah. Um, but I also believe every other possibility. I don't, I don't, I don't feel the need to have an absolute answer to that. Also, um, I think like you know, if you why would you live this life constantly worrying about the next one? Mm, like that would be so tiring. Yeah, yeah. just live yeah. this life, and then we'll deal with the next one when we get to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like with albums, like we're dealing with this album. I'm not thinking three albums in a head. I'm not a fucking yeah. sneaker player, am I? Yeah, actually, that kind of that. Sneaker player? No. Well, you know, secretly. This is this Secret is my, my real passion. Is just uh, hot and then pink. Secret life and then Secret life with them fucking reds. <laughs> Used to love watching Big Break as a kid. <laughs> so I had the trick shot. Yeah, well, I actually just parrot. kind of like quite enjoyed that. Notion of like the sort of like the you know the white western idea of snooker. Like the white is like potting the yeah the black. <laughs> yeah. It's a colonialist game, yeah. and you're always yeah. aiming yeah. for the black as well. Fucking <laughs> Yeah. Snooker's fucking racist as shit. Wow. Yeah. Snooker metal's yeah. gonna be coming up soon. Yeah. 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 All this fucking MSB and Blades fly out and it's just snooker metal. <laughs> <laughs> snooker metal. <laughs> snooker metal sounds so depressing. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's gonna happen now. It sounds slightly more interesting than MSB and Blades. I think it's more like Yeah. More palatable. Fights with the cues. <laughs> They're using the dust to like have court space. Chalk it. Chalk it up. Chalk. Oh my god, that sounds racist. Jesus. <laughs> oh dear. It's just, it's just wrong. Yeah, fuck, fuck that shit, man. It's just, there's no excuse. Exactly. Uh, that's the next card if you want. To. Okay. Well, yeah, on right. that note. <laughs> uh, never. Never. Never to racism. Never have I ever. Oh god, I remember that game. That was. Uh, a real friendship handle that one. If I have ever sn talked about snooker metal, then <laughs> I'm just going to call NSBM snooker metal. Right? That's a really good way of describing yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I've always said that those people should be given the platform, but they should just be both deserves, like in between CBBs and fucking, you know, the cartoon. <laughs> network, so, you know. Yeah, man. What's well, so what you're saying? Like when you give people a platform, it gives other people a chance to kind of 
tear them down and tell them, you know, and have that discussion. Which is, that's it, man. Well, you know, everyone deserves a platform, it just needs to be in the right place, so let's just put it where it belongs on the children's network. Get what they on. You want to get like hate, hate speech on the children's network? <laughs> <laughs> that's the best idea. Though. I mean, I never thought of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds kind of right wing. Well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean like that. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the fucking clown. <laughs> So these are kind of like a curveball. Um, they're kind of like, not that you've asked a question, but you may have a question on your mind. So if there's something that you've thought of when you thought of never, this is stuff that's like informing you, like, as you are, this is where you're going and this is what's coming for you as well. So I don't know if you want to think about it like that in terms of structure. Mm-hmm. But the never is basically about the possibility of failure and the denial of fulfillment, fulfillment which I feel is like literally the F, every single grapevine song. Yeah. Well, it's that's very interesting because in the break we were talking about the idea of um, you know imposter syndrome and mm. uh, being a charlatan, and so like the idea of failure, I think, is something that's always very relevant. Just like almost like it's not the idea of like that we're going to fail; it's the idea that we're already failures and we're going to be discarded. I mean, it's, it's, I, I think as well that's, like, that's interesting because most musicians I know we were talking about earlier um, about that kind of, you know, how you consider yourself as a musician amongst other people and everyone, um, you know, I've, I've definitely always always had that, you know, been in a room with amazing musicians and felt like I'm, I'm the one that's kind of being allowed to be there with them. And, and I think it's, it's always astounding when you hear other people tell you that, that you, that you look at in awe and go, this is an amazing musician and they go, oh, I don't, I don't know, I just, I, just do, I just do something and people like it apparently and, you know, it's, I think everybody has a little bit of that, that kind of, um, that, uh, yeah, imposter syndrome and kind of feeling like you're not there and um, it's a real, it's an interesting one, I guess, because you don't ever want to completely give give that up, like you don't ever want to completely yeah. go, go into... Um, give up to the ego. And yeah, and, yeah, and go like, oh no, I'm great, like no, you shouldn't, I don't think anyone should believe their own shit all the time, mm. but but treading that kind of line in between where you, where you're where you accept that you are valid to be there and, and that you're that you're there for a reason and that everyone else you know recognizes what you're doing um, and yeah with with Graveline's lyrics that's definitely um, it again just go, just following getting these kind of ide- these negative ideas of um, ju- they're just kind of snapshots of, of sort of negative thought but then just following that down as far as it will go like, I, I just find that very um, interesting kind of area to delve into. And I think that it's kind of... yeah, it's cathartic. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's it's well rounding. I think like we touched on earlier, like you know, you have to take the good with the, the bad with the good. You know, like mm. you can't just float through. You have to in, embrace these ideas of like failure and negativity and things like that. Are part of what makes us who we are. Um, I, th- I think as well, you can't, if you actually. Because everybody experiences feeling like that and, and kind of looking at things in a negative light and, and thinking of themselves in that way. But, but actually, because it's not a nice feeling, I think people feel that, uh, but quite sometimes don't actually go, in, go into that. And I, I, I've always quite enjoyed, when I, if I'm feeling sort of depressed or, or miser- miserable or kind of moody in some way or just, you know, feel like sulking. Um, but I really, there's something... Uh, it, 
it's not enjoyable because it's not a nice feeling, but I, I like, I do like to sit with it and I like to kind of dwell on it and kind of dig into that and, like, and see. And yeah, and, it, and like kind of just seeing exactly, because I think you can, you can take some positives from kind of seeing, seeing where that's actually coming from, but also um, right, letting that ride itself out and, and kind of let, letting it take, run its course is, is kind of, I think, really important to just, just being a well-rounded person and, and feeling better in general. Um, whereas if you're kind of running away from, from negative thought, then it's kind of, you don't, you don't let that kind of process yeah. complete itself. Yeah, I've, I've heard about other people talking about sort of negative thoughts, like if you let them root, then it sort of like insidiously works its way into your psyche. You know, I've never really seen it like that. I've seen it that, you know, negative roots are part of, you know, <laughs> blossoming the fucking proper well-rounded human being like yeah I mean, and it does obviously it depends like anyone that suffers from from mental illness you know like anyone that's got sort of clinical depression and you know anything like that it's not always as simple as that yeah absolutely. so not, but I, th I think it's i mean it's always an interesting thing for me that a lot of these mental illnesses are named after emotions mm. you know like yeah. feeling depressed is, is an emotion yeah but depression can also be a, a, a diagnosed thing Feeling anxious is is a is a feeling, an emotion, but it's also anxiety can be a can be a diagnosed thing. So, um, and that's not to discredit. I, I you know I I've, I definitely know people that that have that deal with those things to an extent where it is you know whether that's like chemical imbalances and, and other other things going on or or past trauma or whatever. And it's not for some people it's not so easy as just like oh I'm going to sit with these bad feelings and let them run their course. But I think. There are there are other instances where you can just feel sad, you can just feel down, or you can just wake up feeling negative about things, and you can um, not in that kind of extreme level, but but you can let that kind of ride out. And, and I think in a music sense, it's just a really interesting thing to explore. You know, mm -hmm. like I think every you know piece of music has its own, or you know type of band has its own like little place. You know. It's not to knock like PMA bands who want to do like fucking New York beat down hardcore, yeah. straight edge, whatever. That's fine. They have a place and they exist, and I want them to exist. It's just that the thing we're exploring is another part of the human makeup. You know, so I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just a thing that that's like important to to put into the mix. So uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, I was going to say quickly. Um, I've just always found that music itself is so important in accompanying those feelings. Like, my mum is the biggest uh, Leonard Cohen fan ever. Yeah. And everyone used to say, oh, how can you listen to that? It's so depressing. So, well, no, it has, has the opposite effect. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Because it sounds that way, it allows me to sit with what I'm feeling, yeah. which in turn allows me to you know, get past it. Oh, yeah. Like, Negative music lifts me, man. Yeah, like, same. Not because I'm some weird manic depressive, it's because I just, you know, I just resonates but I, I also feel like um that also the Bible I, makes the best music <laughs> i don't understand you know people that are like oh when i'm feeling down i i, I put something uplifting on because if i'm feeling down some positive sounding music makes me angry yeah it's like, mm. it's just yeah. like, yeah. It's like it how dare you be so happy yeah it's face. not it doesn't it's jarring. Jarring. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. And, it, and so I, th I think it's i, I love that of, of finding music that fits your mood mm. the, your mood and sitting with that and, um, and the negative motors and like downward spiral motor yeah. trails. Yeah, yeah. If, if I want to wallow, if, I, if I'm in a mood to wallow, then I want, I want to listen to music that Actually, helps me wallow. Actually, we're talking earlier about like influences. I mean, I cannot like 
play down what Down the Spiral meant to me. It's an incredible album. I first picked it up in 1995, like a year after it came out, and it just changed my life. And I'll tell you what actually did it, I was totally going off feet here. I watched um, Night Nails live at Glastonbury, uh, 1995, which, uh, was it 1995? The, the, the anniversary one, whatever it was. Yeah. And I saw Happiness and Slavery, which was like fucking mental. That is they, one of my favourite yeah, songs. Yeah, they're all covered in mud yeah, and smashing the keyboard. I was playing yeah, it really to the cool. band the other yeah. day. Yeah. And it's like, they've got this thing where the keyboards are kind of like mic'd up, so every time they smash the keyboard, it makes a noise. Oh, yeah. And I was just like, that was the moment to me that metal died. Because I was like, there's so much more out there. Like, yeah. up until that point, it was like Slayer, White Zombie, you know, um, fucking, you know, I don't know, whatever else. And then that moment, I was like, holy shit, electronics, what the fuck is this? This is mind-blowing. The whole thing is so, like, um, you know, aesthetically resonant to me with, like, the disgustingness of it um, and the, also, like, the weird strobe things and all that. And then I went out and I mistakenly bought the wrong album because that song was on Broken, but I bought Down Spiral and it, like, changed my life. Man. It's kind of weird now because I always think of Nice as being quite a modern band. And also, I fucking hate everything they did after 1999. Well, you got really happy when you stopped being this Basically, the fragile was the last night of Nails album. But, yeah, like that that just really, that resonance that occurred at that point. Um, but then again, you know, sort of almost feeding back into what we're saying, like the idea that this destructive, fucking visceral thing could have resonated with me so much. It's not because I'm a destructive person or a fucking you know, completely like, you know, I don't know, chaotic person. It's that that just, you know, for whatever reason resonated with me and gave me a release of that part of it. You know, it was like, shit, part of, that part of me is being addressed here. Mm. You know, whereas when you watch like, you know, take me down to the paradise city. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, Okay, that would be quite nice, but it doesn't really speak to me. Doesn't really happen yeah. in like yeah. London on a regular no, basis. No, no. Like, yeah. I, I live in fucking, you know, England in the fucking rain. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really give a shit about what's happening on the happening on the LA Strip. This is not very realistic. <laughs> no. Which is ironic since the Dallas Bar was recorded in fucking LA, but at least it was in showing the you know the, the house. But that's that's kind of what, what we were talking about earlier with um, you know different different types of heaviness, and you, mm. you get you get heaviness with sounds, but then. Um, something that that I always really enjoy exploring is heavy, like emotional heaviness within yeah. music. So then that's um, and that's that's can totally fueled by that kind of exploration into negative thought and and sort of uh, those kind of spaces like sadness and and aloneness and, and all of that. Um, I think you know there's there's so many amazing artists that really really explore that and it's and it's real kind of. Um, it's heavy, you know, it's, it's, and it, it, it touches you in a way that I think uh, other types of music can't, can't yeah. get to. It, it gets to a place that's really kind I of... I want to live my life, like, experiencing those rich feelings, like, and they might come from a negative standpoint. That's just how the world is, you know. Unfortunately, positive feelings are a bit more fucking airy-fairy, you know. It's, the negative feelings are like a red wine, you know. It's like, mm. I like that rich that. fucking depth to the feelings, like... Mm. Um, Whereas the positive things are a bit more like, oh, okay. But it's, but it's also that thing of, uh, like, I've, I've, most of the um, kind of TV shows and, and things I've been enjoying recently have been those things where it's it's kind of half comedy, but then but then it, ha it 
it like gets into these moments of real sort of tragic yeah. real, and, and that always actually makes the funny parts more funny as well so it's kind of yeah because because once you get into that like real well, I think that's yeah. actually like you know I'm, I'm not a nationalist in any way but you know something about British comedy that's always done that it's always really sort of like reveled in taking comedy from like the dark aspects of life you know if you take things as obvious as you know jam and uh, fucking brass brass iron black mirror yeah, but then also you think through to things like peep show you know like, yeah. it's basically like sort of celebrating the, you know the dark side of everything and the human demise yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's something quite uniquely British and I think that's uh, I'm not saying it's like I'm, pr I'm not proud of it because I'm an English person but I definitely think from travelling to the States quite a lot um, it's definitely well, I think actually American comedy is getting is, is getting, getting more there. like that it's now I think there. there's actually been some really good American comedy that's that's done done that which I don't think they used to necessarily no I think there was definitely a thing that it was a bit of a divide but now it's kind of embracing it to the point where they're kind of producing things and actually British comedy has probably gone the other way where it's become really yeah. Americanized and just become really yeah. shit <laughs> yeah there's this uh, notion in Stoic philosophy where you're supposed to like think of the worst thing that could possibly happen throughout your day like my partner's gonna leave me my mum's gonna die a world war's gonna break out and then it's highly unlikely that your expectations will be disappointed and you'll yeah. have a much yeah. better day yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, i mean even back to like the traditional like tragedy and comedy you know it's like those things are fucking entwined and like you know there you can't help but find fucking ridiculous like satire in the fucking bad things that happen to us like but that also what you were just saying that that I think is the root of uh, I think a lot of dysfunction in relationships and in our interactions is because we don't people people kind of hide from and, and shy away from the thought of something you know that kind of desperation of like they don't want to think about someone leaving them or or you know someone dying or whatever so then it, it almost becomes un unacceptable thing to happen yeah and so you then don't if it appreciate does happen well, it becomes taboo yeah. as well it becomes a taboo within your own psyche you know you don't want to think about these things because they become this uh this notion of this thing that you shouldn't think about or that you shouldn't embrace or you shouldn't consider to even be a fucking possibility yeah uh, you know this you know at the end of the day taboo is the things that are the most fucking exciting <laughs> so yeah. it's like you know my own device is the thing that is kind of you know, it's the most frightening yet most exciting thing I can think of. Like, it's fucking weird. But. It's always more interesting talking about that kind of thing anyway, isn't it? So, yeah. I've never thought of it in those terms, actually. I'm quite excited about my own demise. <laughs> <laughs> And what bands are you listening to right now that are new? Actually, loads of old bands. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually just really got into suicide. Not as a yeah, pastime, yeah. just oh. as in the band suicide. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, uh, I mean, I'm really a massive, massive Proud Majesty fan at the moment um, the, of new bands. I say new, I mean, they've been around for like probably nearly 10 years now. But, um, yeah, that's, that's one that's really... Uh, taken hold for me. Um, also mates bands like Five the Hierophant are absolutely smashing it. I was very lucky to hear a few snippets of their new album that's unreleased and it's fucking great. That's that sort of twisted eleven paranoisy sort of like fucked up doomy, you know, obviously they have the whole saxophone thing going on and it's just fucking pure, you know, burrowing into club of gore, meeting sleep kind of shit. Like I love it man. It's fucking yeah. It's uh, the dark, you know. 
Yeah, I don't know, it's kind of weird, like, I always feel like I'm discovering new bands, but then when someone puts me on the spot, I can't really think of who I they are. I can't think of any bands when someone asks me to name any band, I'm like, yeah, oh, Yeah, well, I, 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 I always go to when I think of new bands is, like, Friends bands, just because they're most current in my mind. But, mm. uh, um, yeah, I think, um, I've actually, like, yeah, like, so in terms of just music that I've been listening to recently, um, Suicide, uh, uh, the sort of latest one that I've been really sort of delving back into, like, of, uh, Sounds like devastation. It's just that sort of sort of proto post punky, you know, monotony of the, you know, fag gadget style, sort of camp, you know, fucking fuck you post punk rock um, electro vibe. You know, just that sort of thing that fits really awkwardly into that eight, mid eighties kind of thing. You know, where just nothing really knew what it was anymore. I think that's actually kind of weird, like, you know, think about things going in times and that, I think 2020 is a really weird time. I think there'll probably be this thing that we'll look back on called, like, the COVID bands or <laughs> some yeah. shit that, like, comes out of that. But, yeah, um, yeah I, li I like the awkward times, the in-between times. That's why I'm really interested in places like the mid-80s where it's sort of, you know, after post-punk and sort of, to a certain extent, after the first wave of electro where things were just kind of floating around for a bit and I think some really interesting music came out around then, so... Yeah, I don't know, what have you been listening to? Um, yeah, I don't know, I, I, definitely like new discoveries, it's, it's mostly been kind of singer-songwriters and I... I, I oh, was that when you sent me the other day? That was really good. Like, um, oh no, it wasn't, there was one, there's a Canadian, this Canadian girl that I discovered called Kai Kato or Kato something, um, she plays banjo, um, but does kind of some of it's a little bit more upbeat than I than I like. But but some, her kind of moodier songs, she's got a really awesome voice, like quite a low register kind of singing voice, um, and and yeah, just kind of banjo picking. But but in that sort of kind of similar to how um, uh, Matey from Sixteen Horsepower kind of plays plays banjo, but does these kind of quite moody kind of gloomy songs, which I think is um, sort of really interesting. Use of of banjo, I think. Is it Julia Jacklin? Julia Jacklin's another one uh, that my friend got onto me. She, again, another kind of solo singer songwriter. She's Australian, but she, um, yeah, again, she has some kind of upbeat songs that aren't so much my thing. But her, she did this album called Crushing, I think it's called. Uh, the first song in it called Body is like, um, it's got a bit of a kind of nineties uh, vibe, like that kind of gloomy trip hoppy sort of nineties vibe, but. Um, yeah, I just I'm really into just sad sad songs and and that the songwriting that kind of delves into that. So those two, um, I got really obsessed with Pinkish Black um, a little while ago. Who um, I think uh, I think they played Roadburn a few years ago, um, but they do. It's like doom, very doomy, but it's just drums and keyboard and synth and vocals. And he's got this real kind of crooner sort of sixties seventies kind of croony sort of voice. But, but like with through loads of reverb and it's all very uh very miserable kind of sounding but just actually yeah. i just love i love the vibe on that it's really oppressive and kind of um going back to sort of heaviness without mm. without distortion and stuff they they really capture that um likewise that's why i got really into this thing called king midas uh, sound system at the moment which is like uh yeah just really fucking dark um you wouldn't even call it like I mean these days they would put the moniker industrial on it it's not that it's like just dark 
It's, kind of, it's kind of like spoken word with yeah. with, a, with sort of dark electronics. Minimalist sort of electro sort of thing. And that and stuff like that and more mother. I went to this gig at uh, Cafe Otto actually, which was more mother with Ono from Chicago from back in the, you know, been a sort of crazy entity from back in the 80s, very political uh, sort of, um, you know, I'm not going to say black power kind of thing, but you know, like very like, uh, very charged um, politically sort of thing. And uh, it was just like mind blowing. Yeah, like, I, you know those gigs you walk out of like stunned. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, more mother and honor was like, like just, yeah, totally blew me away. Right? Made me feel very kind of small as a person. In a oh, weird way, but in, but in a in a good way, yeah. you know, as yeah. in like really put me in my place, like yeah. kind of um, made me feel not like my troubles are nothing, you know, but like really kind of contextualized some stuff for me of like, you know, people have some real visceral fucking issues yeah. that they have to deal with on a daily fucking basis that I don't have in my life, so. Yeah, it was kind of an eye-opening experience for me. It's, yeah, it's cool when music does that when it kind of. Put, puts a, a shift of perspective on something. Yeah, well, that Nicola Nota does that really well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That she's, I mean, she's, she's yeah, very, so intense, isn't it? It's we kind of, kind of mentioned, I think it might have been between the break, that we, you know, when we were lucky enough to play the, the show with her, and mm. it, was, it was very intense. And after the show, she was like such a lovely human being, but uh, beforehand, she was so in the zone and so like ready for the performance. and. You kind of felt like one of those things like, you know, obviously it's amazing to play with an artist like that, but you know when you play those gigs where you're like, I don't really want to go on before this because it's going to make my shit seem really juvenile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, you guys were great. I, I brought two of my friends to that show and I got them into Lingua Ignosa like the week before. Because oh, cool. I've, I've loved her forever. Um, and one of them was a guy and after the show, well, like, none of us could speak. Like at all, we yeah, just couldn't yeah. speak. I she couldn't she speak really plays around with silences as well, doesn't she? Where, she, it's, where yeah. it's, it gets, she she lets these kind of really suffocating silences kind of hang. It's like but then, awkward, like violent awkwardness. Yeah, she'll yeah, like yeah. get in your face, and like you think she's gonna hang herself at points, and yeah, and there was like there was a guy, and the guy afterwards was like, "Is this how women feel?" That was all he could say. Is like, <laughs> "Is this what it's like?" Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's that's why it's good to you know expose these things. You know, it's like uh, so. This is why I absolutely applaud you know any anyone who's bringing those type of things. I, I don't think it's relevant to every type of art form. Mm. You know, I'm not. You know, I do have this kind of notion that when people say, "Oh, music is political by nature," it's like, no, it doesn't have to be. But it's totally relevant to music. But I think it's about political you're making. Yeah, but I think music it can be. It can be as an act. It can work as that. Art, in the same way, like you know, not every piece of like every painting has to be a political painting, but the ones that there are are powerful and they're relevant. But me, I think music and and art in general, it's to do with being doing something truthful. So some some people that are kind of very politically minded and involved in that. That are making music with that message. I think that's 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 amazing. But I think the thing, any any music that I watch, the, the things that really grab me is it's when they're doing something honest. Yeah. So if you're if you're not if you're not kind of uh, that you know your mind isn't in that sort of necessarily in a kind of political message or anything, and you're doing something else that's maybe a little bit more abstract or more visceral. But if it's honest, I think that's what 
come comes across. And yeah. I think that's what touches yeah. people. And like we were saying about perception, you don't have to necessarily take away the, the direct political message from it. You can just take away the visceral nature of it or the aesthetic nature of it, and it's still relevant as a mm. thing. You know, you can watch someone like Lingua Ignota and not necessarily have like a direct relevance to the political message because it hasn't not something that's necessarily affected you in your life directly. And you can then there's a couple of things that can happen. You can then become aware of that that message, which is a really important thing. You know, and I think it's very good to open people's minds to that. But at the same time, it's also important to understand that you can enjoy it on other levels. You can enjoy like a, a very like aesthetic level or a, you know. The, the level of intensity, uh, you know, there's there's all sorts of different levels to under, understand and enjoy things with, and then hopefully from that, because you enjoy it on one level, you will then, you know, the message will then come through. And I'm not saying that she has like an out, you know, a direct message for people, but you know, I think it's, uh, you know, there's there's definitely music out there that has a, a relevant tone, and it's a it's about shifting the psyche of. The, the masses, as in general, like every little bit that you can chip away at the existing fucked up things that are in place. So, if you can reach people through any type of medium, it's a good thing, you know. Mm. But then, having said that, that's not to say that apolitical music or music without a strong, you know, personal message is irrelevant. It's just that it's just, you know, everything is different on the palette, you know, everything's yeah. there and everything's there for a reason you know i mean our, our music's quite intense and i like to think that people enjoy it in an intense way but that doesn't mean to say that i don't think that they can then go and listen to some fucking you know positive you know hardcore afterwards it's just that that's what we do you know that's got its time and place you know the nature of politics is like very complex when it comes to like art i suspect because even if an artist isn't trying to be political sometimes there is still politics present mm. and there's times where like the art itself is just for existing as a political act like like my Sanun from Syria yes. the fact that they're simply artists is political and mm. and there's like artists um, there's like a Chinese artist whose name I, I forget but he was in like a prisoner of war camp and he used to do art on toilet paper using like shit and stuff he would find and like when my aunt was in prison people would do art in secret mm. because obviously you weren't allowed to do stuff so they they draw on the doors of their prison <coughs> cells and they have like secret like little things they put into the walls where yeah, they'd be like yeah. messages and poems and, and just the act of doing something oh yeah i think anyone who creates art under oppression is like instantly applauded you know yeah. because it's like the act of um well, A, it can be an act of defiance, but then B, just like the act of wanting to take some sort of positivity from from what is a, quite often a very negative situation, you know, like, um, let's face it, when we're talking about these things, we're not talking about someone being a, incarcerated in kindness, are we? Like, we're, we're talking about people that are fucking up against it in life. Um, and I think, yeah, art is so important to the mental well-being of people and the exposure of people's souls you know so i think um anyone who's creating art under oppression i think it's to be applauded uh a hundred percent you know i remember very many years ago i worked at this festival of theater of the by the uh, the oxford tower in uh, the south bank and part of it was this um whole thing of, of films that came out of beirut which at the time was already sort of 
have done, but it's a lot closer, it's a lot more relevant. And just some of the uh, sort of candid footage that was coming from people that were renegadely running around trying to just capture things was one thing, but then the fact that they made it into this artistic piece was like, it was kind of like this very revolutionary thing at that, what felt revolutionary at that time because you were essentially taking what was a clandestine operation within a war zone and making something positive out of yeah. it, you know, to make a, a piece of art. Mess plays art subjective. I mean, some people might have watched it and been like, this is just a <coughs> shit, but yeah. I found it very powerful personally. So. This is the thing as well, you know, sort of diversion slightly is that art, you know, each individual part, it's not, it's not for everyone. Yeah. This is, the, this is the thing I think that people, the internet warriors, the keyboard warriors, misunderstand. It's not for you. If you don't, if you've taken like this offence to it, it's mm -hmm. not for you. Yeah, no one's you know, entitled to art. I can sit here and talk about Iron Maiden all day long about whatever. It's not for me. It's yeah. fine. Doesn't mean it doesn't need to exist. Mm. It's fine that it exists. It's just not for me. Mm. And that's I think where people get a bit caught up in their own shit. Okay. It's like they're like, I don't like this, therefore it shouldn't be. Like, well, what the fucking sort of mentality is that? You fucking arrogant prick. Like, yeah. But yeah. But that's kind of like what you were saying about One Direction earlier, which is like, I, I don't, I've always, I've always felt like this about pop music, where you get people that are into heavy music that go like, oh no, but that's all just fucking shit, and like, we need to, we need to stop that. We need to make something that we like number one or whatever. It's like, actually, that's pop music, and that we, you know, the, the stuff that maybe we don't value so much, like the kind of boy bands and stuff, that. That is a space for those people that aren't, wouldn't be interested in the music that we like anyway. So yeah. if anything, it's diverting attention. The people that we that we don't, you know, that, that are not that are not going to really get what 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 we're doing. I suppose um, so. So yeah. so it, so it's good to have that. It's good that that exists because that's that's what some certain people want to hear. Yeah. So so going like I I I think One Direction is shit or I think Boyzone is shit or whatever or whatever it is. It's like actually that. That serves a purpose in a di in different area, which we're not necessarily needing to go into. I suppose it has its own it yeah. has its own reason for existing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I, but I think uh, I think that one of the things with sort of pop bands like that, where a lot of the sort of sentiment of um, you know not hatred, that's wrong, but I hate them. Be like maybe animosity comes from mm -hmm. it is the unjustness of certain people doing so well out of their craft when they, you know, necessarily, I mean, to, to be fair to them, I don't know what goes into being One Direction, maybe it's really fucking hard work, you know, it's probably hard work being you a fucking internet pinup, I would imagine, so, yeah. but you know, I feel like it's about distribution of wealth. You know, you know, one, that's the problem, yeah. it's like, yeah. it's not that I'm saying that One Direction shouldn't exist and should, you know, and that they're cunts, they're probably, they're just doing their thing. It's just that I'm saying that they don't deserve 85 million quid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I did recognise, uh, like respect a little bit more the job of that. But when, when I used to work in a bigger music venue and we had a lot of these kind of um, pop punk and sort of emo bands coming through that are pretty much just boy bands. Mm. Um, so they have, you know, it's like, you know, 2000 screaming 14 year olds or like 14 year old girls are going to watch them and have posters signed and you know it's exactly the same kind of setup really as as, as uh the as kind of boy manufactured yeah. boy bands and stuff but one thing i really recognized from working there was how hard these bands work because they don't they don't get to turn up and just sit in their dressing room until they go on stage they have to do like a two-hour meet and greet before and sign and it's, it's part of part of their job is that they they have to fucking do all of, all of this extra shit and they 
and impossible, you know, quite possibly a lot of those people, they're not necessarily super into the music they're playing. Um, yeah. And it's not to say I necessarily respect the music or enjoy it, but I, I, I respected that they worked hard at their job. That's exhausting. And actually, yeah. if you want to see a real whiny bitch, go backstage at like a mainstream metal show. You'll see a whiny bitch exemplified through a magnifying glass and a microscope. Yeah. yeah. Fucking, you know, like the, how dare that person come near my trailer? Bullshit. <laughs> yeah. That's not from fucking your One Directions. That's from your fucking Metallicas, man. I tell you. Yeah. All right, um, so we've been streaming, streaming, recording for like three hours now, if not more. So we're just going to turn over all the cards and we're going to thank our amazing, wonderful guests for being wonderful and amazing. Well, we'd like <laughs> to thank you in return. So. Thank you for thanking us. Um, so it's so much go. thank you, it's almost Iranian. <laughs> it's definitely Iranian. Do you, want, you should turn over the cards to imbue them with your spirit. Um, so the next cards to turn over, da, 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 I can count. This one. That's it. I'll do the ones on this side of the table. You do that. Okay. Yeah. The beast. The beast. <gasps> Look at that. The first one. The beast. Oh. <laughs> the voyage. This one. The moon. The moon. Oh. The crab moon. Work. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no. The stars. That's where you're going. Yeah, mystical. And that's informing you liberation. Yes. Oh, oh cool. I like it. That's good. I like yeah. liberation through the crab star moon beast. That's pretty cool. That's a good album name. I'm gonna work at it. <laughs> <laughs> Take it to the stars. Alright, shall we? Oh my god, I'm gonna sneeze. Um, thank you so much for watching. If you've made it this far, for a start. If you have, you're a trooper, not in the Iron Maiden sense. In the <laughs> <laughs> trooper with like a V. Yeah. A true, yeah, a true. <laughs> yeah, you we coined it. So yeah, thank you so much, Floyd. Um, yeah, well, like, thank you. We uh, all spoke over you most of the... No, it's great. It's good to not hear the sound of my own voice for once and just sit back and listen. And I just want to say um, great work with the albums you guys have done. I've really loved oh, the thanks. stuff I've listened to. And I can't tell you the amount of times I've listened to Love Displace. Like, it's one of the... It's one of my yeah, favourites. I just I, absolutely love it. It's definitely a real high point. For, I can say that that was a really special song because that wasn't on it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but actually it feels really good because as a fucking member of the band to actually have a song that I can just sit back and admire. I think it's uh, special to me. It's stunning. That was uh, that was really a really special thing with Julia as well, with the, uh, our, our original drummer. That um, yeah, it was just a really nice kind of exploration into something, but like both of us hadn't quite sort of. I love her energy. She's, She's amazing. So She's amazing. So yeah. actually, not not to go on a rant, but like talking about um, you know people imparting wisdom, but she was actually a real force in in, in the band of kind of. Um, that sort of taking yourself seriously and, and believing in what you're doing, and you know, she was very like adamant from the beginning. Like, no, we're we're doing something good here, and we're all we're all good musicians. And this whatever is we do from this point, she's like part of it. You know? Yeah, she's not there. Doesn't matter. She's still part of it. So. Mm. No, she, yeah, she's she's a really big. She was a very very big force for for the kind of uh, inception of the band and kind of works on it. So yeah, I'm really happy that that song exists. Yeah. Wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, guys. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye.